Long Talk Radio. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see her on my back. And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who is long paid for his crime, but is there because he's a victim of the time. I wear the black for those who've never read or listened to the words that about the road to happiness through love and charity. Why you think he's talking straight to you and me? Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose. In our streak of lightning cars and All right, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome. Today is Monday, February 4th, 2013, and this is John Friend. You are listening to The Realist Report on Truth Militia Radio. Be sure to check out truthmilitia.com where you can find information about past and coming shows. And also check out my personal blog at johnfriendsblog.blogbot.com. And tonight I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is William Fink. His website is christiania.org. And we're going to be talking about the ancient history of the European peoples and, and European migrations. Uh, so, Bill, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Fine, thank you. Thank you for having me here, and praise Christ. Excellent. Yeah, th- this is something. This is a, a subject that's really interesting to me. Um, I think uh, a lot of people that that have been following my blog, they know that from a, a German and Irish family, basically. You know, my mom's side is pretty much mostly Irish. My dad's side is pretty much mostly German. And I'm interested in, in finding out, you know, where these people come from ultimately in the, in the history of these people. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to uh, to bring on and talk about because I know you've done a lot of research in this area. Uh, the thing I think we should talk about is some of the sources that you use to develop some of the essays that you have on your website and, and your overall historical perspective of the European peoples and where they come from. So do you want to talk a little bit of about uh, used and uh, you know the, the the Greek classics and in some of this ancient literature and inscriptions. Well, well, sure, I would love to. The um, yeah, you know the the Greek classics, the Greek and Roman classics, classical education as a whole has been despised these past hundred years. It's been belittled and it's been marginalized by the Jews who have basically subsumed uh, the Western academia. They, they, they've taken the classics and, and basically made them a laughing stock and dismissed them. The, the, um, most of my research is from the, the, the Greek classics. I, I mean, I have a lot of Roman reading. I, I've read Livy was the, the famous first century B.C. historian of Rome. Virgil, the famous first century B.C. poet. The writings of Julius Caesar himself, which, which are really... Um, not of wide interest that the um the Greek historians 
Diodorus Siculus, the Library of History, he, he actually compiled all of what he thought were the best, most reliable historians extant in his own time, most of whom are lost to us today, unfortunately, and, and created the Library of History. Strabo, the geographer, Herodotus, who was the first um, truly linear historian whose works survived to us in, in almost, or at least... Um, for all intents and purposes, practically complete form. The poets in, 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 in Greek classics, the poets precede the historians, and, and there's the, the, the epic cycle, which, can, which includes Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey, they're famous, everybody should recognize those names, and Hesiod, and then there's the Elegaic poets, such as Archilochus, the, the Bucolic poets, the, the, um, the, the tragic poets, Aeschylus, Euripides, earliest Greek history, we have to learn to separate the myth from the history and, and, and the, um, the myth from the, the actual portrait of the world that they're creating at the time. However, um, history and prehistory to a great degree can be um, understood as we get it from from the Greek classics, once we once we are able to achieve those things, the the um that there is a tremendous wealth. I, I mean, I prefer the the Harvard University, and a lot of people might scoff at that on on the Christian right today, or in in white nationalists today. But Harvard University wasn't the the place, the institution that it is currently back when the Loeb Classical Library was created and, and did us a great service by taking all of this extant Greek and, and Latin literature and collecting it under one roof and cataloging it and, and hiring the best academics attainable. At that time, most of them were actually English and, and not American and, and having these works... Um, the, the the original manuscripts edited and 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 translated and and published in both Greek and English or Latin and English and and that's my preferred choice. Uh, apart from the classics, uh, I probably read. I, I like to say all, but that's impossible. Just about all of the um, Hebrew apocryphal literature, including the, the Hebrew Bible, of course, and and the Greek Bible and and the Dead Sea Scrolls Bible and the Bible in all of all of its variants. And, and aside from that, um, the University of Chicago has in 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 their in translations of Assyrian inscriptions and, and other sources such as. Um, Princeton University, that they had in the late 18 and early 1900s collected massive amounts of Assyrian inscriptions and, and had translations made, and, and through them we can understand the early histories of, and not only Assyrian but Sumerian and other Mesopotamian inscriptions, through them we can understand the histories and the myths of the early Sumerians and, and the early Assyrians or Akkadians and the early Syrians and Hittites, even the Hittites, even the Hittite laws, and 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 a, a lot of Hittite literature is is um, translated in some of those collections of inscriptions. And, and taking all this, and and, and reading, um, well, well, no man could read it all, but reading as much as uh, of it as I could gather is what I base my thesis on for the settlement of Europe, and and what I base my my. Um, my, my understanding of the Bible upon. 
because I, I understand through all of the classical literature and through all of the ancient inscriptions that I've studied that the Bible is a pretty reliable book, both historically and prophetically. Of course, the prophetic part is a religious argument, but the historical part can be established, and, and, and without doubt. All right, interesting. Thanks for clearing that up because a lot of times people simply, you know, they, they just don't understand where you're coming from and, and the sources you're using. And, you know, I just wanted to clear that up. So you're basically using, you know, ancient history, uh, Greek and Roman historians and geographers. Um, and not only that, but you're also relying on uh, archaeology and the, the, these different inscriptions. Well, absolutely. And, and all of that there there are only 13 core historical essays on my site what which basically are the summation of my beliefs on the settlement of Europe that we did come from from where the bible says we came from and 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 that white civilization white western civilization in in the modern world began had their roots fully in mesopotamia and and syria and the levant now, now um, Egypt is an offshoot of that civilization, and and Greece is an early um, manifestation of that civilization in Europe. Now, um, my beliefs in that are, are are exposed on on my website, elucidated on my website. That they're in hundreds of podcasts on my website, and, and all of my podcast notes. I, I always try to publish my notes, but those thirteen core historical papers. On, under um, it's christagenia.org slash history and and they could be that they could be reached but on the right hand side menu historical essays proving Christian identity those papers are well cited everything I say for, is uh, I cite the book chapter and paragraph from every every source that I use whether it be the Bible or whether it be Herodotus Homer. Thucydides, Aeschylus, Euripides, it doesn't matter, it's Strabo, that they're, they're all cited. All my papers are cited. I don't make anything up. I don't pull it out of thin air. Uh, I'm not one of these new age circus clowns that, that likes to invent histories of peoples to, ju ju just to simply account for the, their existence. I don't do any of that. It, it all comes from an old book. If it don't come from an old book, I keep my mouth shut. Or, or sometimes I, I, I make it clear that I'm giving my opinion. Right. Okay. Well, one thing um, that, that that seemed clear to me just reading your, uh, you know, some of the essays and listening to some of your podcasts on subjects, there were two basic migrations or, or, or uh, ways that the European peoples, well, well, what we know as white European peoples, actually settled Europe. One was by sea through the Phoenicians and some of these other seafaring tribes, and then the other was the migration north through the Caucasus regions. Do I basically have that correct? Well, well, right. You do basically have that correct. I, I'd like to say something about prehistory first, though, be, before we start to discuss that. You, you know, I understand that, okay. there are, that there are ancient stone temples that, that are unaccounted for by history, that they're found on the islands of the Mediterranean and in, in certain places in, in, in the Mediterranean basin, that there are cave paintings in France, that there are other artifacts found in Europe that are very old. But the earth is, the planet is very old, and the Bible doesn't teach that the planet was made 6,000 years ago in six days. That is one interpretation of men. 
And if we accept that word day as, an, as a metaphor for an age or an eon, what which the word can be established to fully mean, that then we don't necessarily have to be locked into the false evolution, very old earth versus creation, very young earth dichotomy. That's a false dichotomy. The planet has an old history, that it, and, and we have a prehistory in Europe, and, and that we can't readily identify the, the, um, the creators or, or, or the, the carriers of that, you know, the artifacts that are found in that prehistory. But that doesn't mean that those people are our ancestors. Just because there are cave paintings in France, and, and today we have Gauls or Franks living in France, that doesn't mean that their ancestors created the cave paintings that are esteemed to be 25,000 years older than our oldest writing. Okay? And, and that's, okay. you know, people, the, the Jews and, and the evolutionists, they love to trick us into imagining that, our predecessors are our ancestors. And, and that's certainly not necessarily true. We have an entire historic record of migration in Europe from Mesopotamia or the Levant into Europe. And, and if we, you know, any, anybody could pick out a few things that Herodotus said and pick on them or pick out a few things that Strabo said and pick on them. No man is 100% correct. A man's only as good as his understanding, his perspective, and his sources. However, when you take the entire body of literature and, and, and you read it and understand the general narrative and understand that the general narrative, what was accepted by all of these writers, even though some little detail somewhere might conflict, well then, you understand the general narrative is true. In other words, when I say that the Phoenicians came from the Levant, and they settled in Spain, Britain, and Ireland, and they were the first settlers in those regions, and they were there for a thousand years before the Romans and the Greeks showed up, I'm saying that not because merely Herodotus said it. I'm not saying that just because merely Strabo said it. I'm saying that because they all said it. They all believed it, and, and, and archaeology proves that to be true, by the way. And, and archaeology also supports most of what I'm saying. Now, that there may be um, differing interpretations of certain things because of the archaeology, you know, because we have different archaeologists looking at the same data from different perspectives and with different motives. But, but right. the general narrative, it, the general narrative is hard to shake. It's hard to shake because so many of the ancient writers had, had adhered to these things and, and propounded them and believed them. Right, okay, okay, yeah, that's, Thanks for that clarification. You know, it's it's tough to, you know, sift through all this information if if you don't have a, a thorough background in it. So I'm I'm glad we got guys like you that have sat down and read through this stuff and, and do have a, a better understanding of it. So I, I think I was thinking maybe the easiest way to do it is just to first talk about the Phoenicians and who they were and, and their migrations and where they settled. Well, well if you and, don't mind, I'd like to talk uh, about the um, a, a little before the period of the Phoenicians. Okay, Just yeah, sure, whatever you that. think would be the clearest way to explain this. Yeah, you know, I don't care what people think about the Bible. I don't care what they think. I don't care if they think it's all a myth. But history starts with Genesis chapter 10. 
And Genesis chapter 10 gives a list of basically what at that time are all white nations. And it draws this picture of, of Shemitic, Hamitic, and, and Japhethic nations. And the Japhethites are settled along the coast of southern Europe, all along the Mediterranean waters. And, and, and actually Genesis chapter 10 tells us that um, these people are, are, are the coast dwellers and, and the sea people of, of ancient history. And, and it, it, it puts the, these people called Tartesians by the Greeks. The Tarshish of Scripture is southern Spain. And, and the Greek classics, the ships of Tarshish, sail from the Levant to southern Spain all through the Bible. And, and basically, those people can be established as the Phoenicians of history. The Greeks don't know Israelites. They only know Phoenicians. And the golden age of Phoenicia is synonymous with the, the, the kingdom period of, of, of the Israelites, the Hebrews of the Bible. And, and it can be established from the Bible that the Phoenicians are certainly the inhabitants of Tyre and the inhabitants of Sidon are the people of the Hebrews of, of the Old Testament. And, and that can be proven from Scripture, and I have a paper on my website that proves that. But And, and we'll get back to the Phoenicians momentarily. What we have in, in Greek history... Okay, we have Phoenicians and Minoans, and it can be established that the Minoans are basically the, the prehistoric link between these Phoenicians and the Greeks. And that Linear A and Linear, there's even a Jewish archaeologist, Cyrus Gordon, and I don't like to use Jewish sources, but he was right in this instance in identifying Linear A and, and Linear B as the linking. Um, Languages and, and alphabets between the, the Greek and, and the Hebrew. And he was right, and he was very unpopular for saying that. The Jews hate him for saying that. And, and it, it's, um, it, it's evident in history and in language. Now, now the Minoans, the Greeks portrayed the Phoenicians and the Minoans as, as um, migrating to the West, and they never have any opposition. Homer portrays the Isles of the West as being virtually uninhabited in the days before Troy. Herodotus calls Tarshish in southern Spain a tiny town until after the Trojan Wars when it became a large center of trade. And that corresponds perfectly with the account of the ships of Tarshish that we read about in the Old Testament. Okay, so we have Tarshish and we have the Ionian Greeks and the Thracians, and, and they're the Japhethite tribes, and, and along the Black Sea, the Mosque and the Tabarni, and, and these people can be identified in the Bible. They could also be identified in those same places in the ancient inscriptions and by the historians. Now, now the Shemite tribes are all white, the Japhethite tribes are all white, the Hamitic tribes, the Cushites or Ethiopians. The word Ethiopian did not mean black in the ancient world. It meant sunburnt. Ahithops means shining face or, or sunburnt face. The, the, um, the, and, and that's what the word means in Greek. It doesn't mean black face. The Ethiopians, the, the Greeks had two peoples called Ethiopians. One group lived south of Egypt. Well, that group was a colony of the first group that lived in Mesopotamia. That was called the land of Ethiopia by the Greeks. That was the Ethiopia of the east of Herodotus and, 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 and several of the Greek poets. Memnon, 
the king of the Ethiopians, fought at the walls of Troy, and was credited with building Susa, which was the capital city of the Persians in later history. So, so all these people, that they're all white people, and, and they are all described by the Hebrew Bible, but in the picture of the world drawn at maybe at 1500 B.C., or, or even earlier in Genesis chapter 10, it, it, even though it's extremely compatible with the ancient inscriptions, we don't have any written history. We don't have any written history outside of the inscriptions, the Assyrian, Sumerian, and Babylonian inscriptions in the Hebrew Bible. That's the only written history we have, any Egyptian inscriptions. Basically, we don't have any written history in Europe until the Greeks start to write in 600 B.C. or thereabouts. Okay. okay. So we have a huge gap. We have this picture of the white world drawn by the Hebrew Bible. All these people can be historically and archaeologically established as being white. The Egyptians, the Ethiopians, the, the, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, the Syrians, the Hebrews, all of them. But when you read Josephus, Flavius Josephus takes it for granted that Judeans and Greeks couldn't be told apart except for the circumcision. All these people were white. Strabo talked about white Syrians and, and the Syrians that lived north of the Taurus Mountains in Anatolia and, and the Syrians who, who lived in the warmer climates in, in, in the Levant. And he couldn't understand why the white Syrians were called white Syrians. And he says, as if there were any black ones. He, he, that These people were all white. Anybody who buys into the Jew idea that the Semitic people are Arabs are out of their minds, and, and the proof of that is that the word Arab in Hebrew means mixed. It means right. mixed. That's what the word Arab means. Interesting, and, and I know you've done some language studies, you know, showing that, you know, basically talking about the, the language studies that have been done. And maybe we can get into that a little bit later on in the conversation. I wanted to take a call real quick. We got, uh, we got one of the guys from uh, one of the other shows. Truth Militia, I believe. And we'll take his call real quick, and then we'll okay. continue. Well, well, I have a lot to present yet. We haven't even got really right. gotten to the Phoenicians yet. We'll take this call real quick, and then and then we'll continue on. We won't take any calls until uh, the second hour here. So I think this is Keith. Um, is that you, buddy? <clears throat> yeah, John. I can't on Skype because you can't. We're having a blog talk. Having a problem with the phones tonight. I couldn't dial in on the fucking landline. Uh, okay. uh, so I'm on this Skype. I'm just, is it breaking up or can you hear me okay? No, I can hear you. No, I can hear you. Did you have a question for our guest? Yeah, 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 go yeah ahead. Mr. Fink, I'm sorry to to butt in here, but I've got to sign some loan papers here to refinance a house here in about 20 minutes. So I want to get one question into you. Um, one simple, easy question to answer. Uh, where is the proof that Jesus Christ existed besides in the Bible? Can you point How me in the right direction? On Flavius this, Josephus and Tacitus's Annals of Rome. Two historians. What, what? Two first century historians. Two first century historians. Flavius Josephus and Tacitus's Annals of Rome. He's mentioned in both those this, sources. And this is in some book somewhere I can find? Tacitus, the famous Roman historian? I hope you can I'm find a, it a book. I'm, I'm a lame. Okay, well, well, Tacitus is an Alice of Rome. I, I mean, if you want to shoot me an email or shoot John an email, I'll, I'll get you the title typed out. You could go order it. 
He, Jesus oh, Christ is mentioned in Tacitus's Annals of Rome. He's mentioned in Flavius Josephus, and he's mentioned in, in in hundreds, hundreds of ancient letters, epistles, treatises, and apologies, which without doubt date to the to the second and third centuries A.D. Hundreds of them: Tertullian, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr. Clement, there's an entire history of Christian attestation passed down through the centuries that people are entirely ignorant of. And it's a damn shame. Keith, did you have anything else? Uh, yeah, in this Christian identity, uh, I'm not sure what to call it. Uh, what do you call this? Is this a movement or what is this, Bill? What is Christian identity? Well, what is Christian identity? Religion. It's, is it a religion? Well, well, what is it? It's a religion that depends upon, that synthesizes history and archaeology. Christian identity does for the Bible and, and, and for the first century and, and times before that. And just what Holocaust and I, just what, I'm sorry, Holocaust revisionists do for, for Germany in the 1940s. I take the same approaches, the same scientific approaches. I study ancient manuscripts. I read Coin Greek. I, I, I examine the meanings of Hebrew words. I, I take the same scientific approaches to to, to the um, the the Bible and 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 ancient history that that Germar Rudolph takes to the walls of Auschwitz. Has there any has there been any archaeological evidence of Jesus? Is there any archaeological evidence of um, Julius Caesar? Can, can you go find me Julius Caesar dug no, out of the on. ground? No, you can't. No, no, no you can't you do that. No, no, you can't do that. You can't. You, you can't. You're, you're being. You're, you're being patently unfair. Okay, okay, Keith. Keith decided. Can, can you dig your great great grandfather out of the damn ground? Can you do that? Can you do that? Do you, okay. where, where's the archaeological evidence of your great-great-grandparents? I want to see it. You don't exist if I don't see it. Come on, cough it up. Okay, okay. Let's well, have it. Keith, Keith, thanks for the questions. You know, Bill cited countless others. That, you know, maybe we can and I, from you, Bill, and I'll post it on my blog so that way if anybody's interested, they can check this out. This whole religious debate gets – everybody lets their emotions and their egos get involved. Well, well you know here. something? That there is a ton of archaeological evidence that Christians existed in the first and second centuries AD, centuries AD. That there is volumes of writings and attestation of Christianity that date back to the second century AD. Okay. Uh, I mean, well, what do you I'll, want? Do you I'll want say, me to just dig the guy up and bring him to you? I mean, that's just absolutely crazy. <laughs> right. Well, well, let's move on and, let, and let, let's talk here uh, a little bit more about the Phoenicians. I, just, I, I know uh, I know he was going to be busy later, so I know he wanted to ask you a couple questions. But yeah, let, let's move on and, and talk about the Phoenicians. Or, or did you have anything else to say about uh, you know prehistory and Genesis ten and, and what you were talking about before we took the call? Well, well, yeah, no, I think I said enough that the Genesis ten nations of the Bible. It could be established through archaeology and through history that this is a very accurate picture of the, the white world as it existed between maybe 3500 and 1500 B.C., that these nations, right, that are listed in, okay. this, in this Bible, right? And, of, of course, some of the inscriptions have a lot of different names for sub-tribes, but the general schematic is very accurate. And, and, and they were all white. And they are all 
identifiable in ancient history. Okay? Now, now from that time, uh, I'm getting feedback from somewhere, John. From that time down to the, the, um, the historic accounts of the Bible through the books of Kings and Chronicles are, are besides the point, down to when the Greeks started writing, we know very little except from inscriptions we've dug out of the ground. We only have bits and pieces from these inscriptions that we've dug out of the ground. But we do have a wealth of Assyrian and Babylonian inscriptions that establish, and, and some Egyptian, that establish that the, the, the historical books of the Bible, the books of Kings and Chronicles, are fairly accurate in what they say. Right, okay. Interesting. Um, so I guess, uh, do, do you want to just jump into the, the Phoenician aspect? I know I, I just, I just reread the, uh, the essay you wrote about it. And it's, well, uh, well, we have an Exodus account just before the Phoenicians, right? We, we have, um, Danning Greeks and, and we have Trojans. And before the Exodus account, we find in Diodorus Siculus and, and in certain other ancient histories and, and poets that some of the aliens in Egypt had crossed the sea and established colonies and founded some of the big cities that were later known as Greek cities and, and Trojan cities, founded those cities, and that the rest of the aliens in Egypt had departed into the Levant with Moses. Now, now Diodorus Siculus wrote this in the... In, in the middle of the first century B.C., he was quoting, I believe he was quoting, quoting um, Hecatahius of Abdera, who lived three, 300 years before he lived, okay? Because Diodorus Siculus's work is a composite of the histories that were available to him at the time. Okay? Right, okay. Uh, okay, now, now these, the, the Bible, the, 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 the books of Kings... Talk about the wisdom of Solomon and how Solomon was wiser than all the kings of all the nations round about. And then it compares Solomon to certain sons of Mahal, the son of, of Zarah, the son of Judah. And some of those sons listed, among those sons listed, the sons of Mahal are Darda and Calcol. And Darda and Calcol and the sons of Mahal are not listed again in the Bible. They're not mentioned again in the Bible. The that these people just happened to turn up in Greek poetry. And Darda is the legendary founder of Troy, Dardanus. And Calcol is the legendary founder of, of the um what what later became known as the Greek colony of Pamphylia. So we have these Trojans, it could be established, that actually came from the people in Egypt who are known as Hebrews. Now, we have these people in, well, we have the, 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 the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan is said in the Bible to have taken to the sea at a very early time. The Dani. The tribe of Dan would be called Dani in the plural in Hebrew. In Greek literature, and throughout Greek literature, I mean, there are poems that there are poems written about this by Aeschylus and Euripides, and, and there are mentions of this throughout the and throughout the classics. The, the daughters of Dan fled Egypt 
and settled in Greece with Danos, who who is one of the legendary um, figures of of Greek mythology and 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 and, and later history. His, uh, it's hard to call it history because it's kind of history and myth mixed, right? Well, right. well the Danans, the Danan Greeks are the people that launched the war against the Trojans. And it could be established through Greek writings and coordinated with the Bible that these people came from Egypt and that they were Hebrews. So the now, Dan- now Dor- when you say Dor- the Dorian Greeks and the Danan Greeks, these were basically Israelite tribes that had come from you know what is modern day Lebanon or or in Palestine. Well, is well that the correct? Trojans and the Danan Greeks are Israelite tribes who who had come out of Egypt. And went to Greece and and crossed the Mediterranean rather than go along in the Exodus. Oh, okay, I see. They were the tribes that were not taken away, you know, and resettled in, in well, the Caucasus well, region. Well, well, they, they they weren't entire tribes, but they were large portions of tribes, right? Okay. Okay. They okay. I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to uh, keep a right. clear picture here. <laughs> right, right. A good portion of the Danae are are. are it is fully evident in the ancient classics that they had, and in the Bible, that they had departed from the main body of the Israelites and settled in Greece and settled in Troy. And later on, there was a great war between those two parties that we know as the Trojan War. And that okay. would be about 300 years or maybe 350 years after they had settled there from Egypt. Okay. Okay. Now, now, after the Trojan Wars, and, and this is in all the ancient historians, the, a, a, a large colony of Trojans left Anatolia, or, or what we know today as modern Turkey, where Troy was on the northwestern portion of it, and, and they became the Romans eventually. They settled in Italy and became the Romans. Now, now there's a group in Anatolia called, in the Bible they're referred to as Lud, and that actually became the empire of the Lydians. And the Etruscans, in all the classical material, the Etruscans are said to have come from Anatolia, from the Lydians. So Italy was settled rather late. Italy, the, the, the Greek writers, and, and talking about the earliest times, the Greek writers describe the Minoans as the first settlers of Italy. And that the Etruscans came later, and that the Trojans came even later from them. And now we're down to about 1200 to 1100 BC in in that area. And and but that's when Italy is, was settled by whites, and they came from the east. Okay, so the bottom line is all these settlements are coming from east to west. Well, well right. There was a steady. Okay. The the the, the ancient classics draw a, a picture of a steady migration of tribes. From east to west, from Levant, from the Egypt, and into the northern parts of the Mediterranean and the western parts of the Mediterranean. And this, that these tribes, there is no opposition to their settlement ever described by any of the poets. Homer's earliest pictures, the earliest pictures he paints for us of the western Mediterranean, he basically describes them as uninhabited. Now, now Homer is writing of of a period 600 years before his own, but he's basically describing the western Mediterranean as uninhabited, virtually uninhabited, at the time of Troy. And the only people mentioned at that early time in the western Mediterranean are the people of southern Spain. 
Now, now there were Greek settlements and, and Phoenician settlements later throughout the river valleys of France and, and, and Italy and, and along the coasts of North Africa, but that came later. Okay. Okay. So this idea, so this idea of you know a Nordic people moving south, you know, because a lot of people still cling to this idea that a lot of these Europeans have their origins in the north, and there's basically no proof in, in archaeology or in any of this classical, in any of these classical historians and geographers. No Is that correct? proof whatsoever. There is no proof whatsoever of of Greek or Roman origins in the north. Absolutely okay. zero. All of the Greek and Roman classics attest that they came from the east. All of them. Okay. From the Levant, from Egypt, from, from Mesopotamia, they all had their roots in the east. Okay. And, and, and the picture is basically once you read enough of the classics, you'll find that to be undeniable because that's a story woven into all of their, all of their histories and all of their poems. Now, now, the next people into Greece, after the Trojans and, and the Danans, the next people into Greece are, are, are basically, the Phoenicians are, are actually, the, the Israelites, once they settled in Levant and, and pushed a lot of the Canaanites out, it could be established in the Bible and especially in the Greek scriptures, in, in the Greek translations, because the Masoretic text is a lot less reliable, it could be established that the, and, and there's a paper on my site and, and, and a podcast that discussed just this. It's identifying the Phoenicians, classical right. and biblical records and the origins of the Phoenicians. These people are the Hebrews that the, the Hebrews that invaded the Levant after the Exodus and, and, and the Bible proves it. And they took over these towns of Tyre and Sidon and Joppa and these other coastal towns. And yes, they had Philistines with them and a few other groups. But these people are the Phoenicians of the classical Greek records. You know what's funny, Bill? I was actually just uh, reading about the Phoenicians just on uh, Wikipedia. And they claim that the Phoenicians are – and you're saying that's totally wrong. Well, well the problem – the, the problem is the Jewish question. Okay. The, the Jews have a false identity that they didn't the, – the Jews are the Edomites and Canaanites that eventually usurped and, – and they tried it for centuries, right? But they eventually totally took over Judea and, and Jerusalem and the temple, and they did that by the second century. And that's who the Jews are. And they can't admit any of this history. And they have to right. deny it all. Because otherwise, if you really understand ancient classical history, the, the false claims of Jewish identity disintegrate. They disintegrate. The Phoenicians okay. are the Israelites. And, and the Bible proves it. And once you understand the Greek descriptions of the Phoenicians, uh, I mean, the Phoenicians settled in, in a lot of places in Thessaly, in Anatolia. Now, now, I had connected earlier the Trojans to the tribe of Judah. The, the Hebrew tribe of Judah, the real white tribe of Judah, okay, that left from Egypt and settled in Troy. Now, the Greeks tell us that the Colichians and the Carians came from the sea, and they've always been identified as Phoenicians. And those people are, are we are told those people are allies of the Trojans against the Danans and and the Ionians who, who sided with the Danans in the, in the Trojan Wars, the Colichians and the Carians are allies with the Trojans, with, with the Trojans, and they had 
Trojan princes ruling over them. And, and hmm. it's evident okay. in the Bible that the, the tribe of Judah is the royal tribe, and they would always rule over the other Israelites. Well, the Colichians and the Carians are Phoenicians, and they had Trojan princes ruling over them. They all took their princes from the Trojans. Strabo states that explicitly. It's cited on my website in my paper, Classical Records and Trojan Roman Judah. Because okay. the, the Trojans yeah. and the Romans came from the, that tribe of that portion of the tribe of the real tribe of Judah. Hey, and by, and by the way, real quick, go to your, um, all of these essays that we're discussing and that you're referring to—they're all—they should all be linked right there on the left-hand side of the page, correct? Yeah, they're all linked in the left-hand column, the upper left-hand column at Christiania. Right. Okay. So yeah, if anybody's you know wants more clarification or wants this all explained all out in writing, I'd really recommend it. I mean, it's this stuff can be complicated, you know, trying to figure out. Who's who? What what tribe is what tribe? But you know, I, I'd encourage everybody to go check that out for themselves. And, and you know, I think I think this really does make a lot more sense than the standard you know historical narrative we've been given. Certainly. So now, one thing that's interesting is these Phoenicians were not only settling the Mediterranean, but they actually go around and and, and eventually settle you know the. The British Isles and, you know, Well, Northern all right, France absolutely, and, and I would like to talk about that in, in a few minutes. And, um, well, we have the, um, the, 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 the Phoenicians first settled Calicia and Caria, which are in modern Anatolia, right? Now, now okay. Caria's principal city was Miletus, okay? And, and that's important to remember down, when, when we get to a talk about Britain and Ireland. But Miletus was a great city, and... and Strabo and other historians mentioned that the Malaysians, the people of Miletus, were, were great seafarers. They had made settlements all around the Black Sea and up and down the Danube River Valley. And nowhere in the Greek writing is it ever mentioned that these people had encountered any opposition in their settlements around the Black Sea. And, and, and these are some of the earliest settlements that far north in, in, in modern European history. And their settlements around the Black Sea and up and down the Danube River Valley. There's no mention of opposition. There's no mention that the Minoans, when they settled, when they made settlements in various places in Italy, in northern Italy, that they had opposition. That there were big masses of Aryan tribes there to fend off these invading Greeks and Phoenicians. No, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. There's reasons why it didn't happen. It didn't happen because they weren't there. Now, mm -hmm. that now... And if they were there, and if there was any opposition or any early intercourse, I'm sure it would have been mentioned somewhere in the classics. But but the Germanic tribes don't start migrating into Europe until after 600 BC. Okay. Okay, they're not there yet. Herodotus in 450 BC, Herodotus visits the Danube River Valley and describes it. And he says that there's nobody living north of it. The Greeks thought it was an inhospitable climate and that nobody could survive north of it. Herodotus at that time, okay, he describes above the Danube River Valley only a tribe called the Siganahi who were colonists of the Medes. And the fact is that this, a, a tribe called the Siganahi did dwell, according to Strabo, on the Caspian Sea in what we would know as ancient media. So, so Herodotus was accurate, and the Caspian Sea region was not very well known to Herodotus. But the Dan he visited the Danube River Valley. 
And that's how he described Europe above north of the Danube River. He said it was barren except for a few tribes of uh, of Siganahi who were colonists of the Medes. So, so we okay. see Medes traveling around the Black Sea into Europe, people from Media, as early as the time of Herodotus. And he okay, now, now let me ask you this real quick. Would these be the people that were into captivity these would be these tribes well well that's possible or or they could okay. have been, they could have been Medes they could have been the, the Israelites of the Assyrian captivity who eventually became the Sake and the Scythians and and now are known to us as the Germanic people and, and I'll get into that in more detail the next okay. wave of people into Greece after the Danans the Trojans and and the Danans and the Minoan Phoenicians who who had settled in in Thebes in Greece and, and in Thessaly in Greece, and and in other places in Italy and further west, aside from those people, the next people that come into Greece are the Dorians. Now, Thucydides said that the Dorians came from the north, okay? But he didn't say where in the north, okay? Now, the, the and, and there's no, a lot of people point to the Dorian Tetrapolis on the Greek mainland, but the Dorian Tetrapolis, those cities aren't mentioned by any of the early writers. They're not mentioned by Homer. They're not mentioned by Hesiod. They don't exist until later. They don't exist in, un, until much later. That now the Dorians invaded the Peloponnesus by sea, not by land, and Thucydides also mentions that. The, the invasion, the Dorian invasion into the Peloponnesus was by sea. It happened two generations after the Trojan War. It happened right around 1100 BC. But when we read Homer, Homer only lists, and, and Homer is drawing an accurate as he can picture of the world at his, what, what, at, at the time of the Trojan War. And Homer only has the Dorians as being on Crete. Homer mentions no Dorians anywhere else except on the island of Crete. Now, Doric architecture from the 7th century BC is found in Dor. Corinthian architecture is found in Dor. Greek architecture at a stratum layer in archaeology, which predated the Assyrian invasions and destructions of the city of Israel, which happened from 642 to 6, I'm sorry, 742 to 676 BC. So, so we have Doric architecture in the Levant before we have it in Greece. Okay? And we have these people called Dorians invading the Peloponnesus at 1100 BC, and Homer tells us that they're in Crete before they invade the Peloponnesus. And it only okay. makes sense. It only makes sense that the Dorians obtained their name because they came from Dor in Palestine. Now, in the second century BC, there's a record of a letter which the king of Sparta, who's a Dorian by race, because the Spartans were Dorians, the Corinthians were Dorians, because that there's a letter written in the second century BC from the king of Sparta to the high priest at Jerusalem admitting ties of blood kindred between them. That's in the histories of uh, okay. Flavius Josephus, and it's in the Book of the Maccabees in our Bible. Well, which used to be in the, in the Bible, now it's in the Apocrypha. So there's two witnesses to that tie of blood kindred between the Dorian Greeks and the people in, in, in the Levant, the people in Israel, the, the Israelites in Judea in the 2nd century B.C. So, so that's a second witness. 
Homer's a first witness, and, and the timing of the invasion of the Dorian Greeks, it, it all makes perfect sense that these people came from Palestine and that they were Israelites. Now, so we have Dorians, Trojans, and Danans, and they could all be traced back to the Israelites in the Bible and in the oldest histories. Now we have the Phoenicians. Josephus, Flavius Josephus says that Tyre was built 240 years before the temple. And it was built by Israelites before the temple in Jerusalem, before Solomon's temple. And it was built by Israelites. I'm sorry. I think it's, uh, yes, 240 years before the temple. And Carthage was founded about 150 years, according to Flavius Josephus, after the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, Flavius', Flavius Josephus... Josephus's sources, his source for this information, were the ancient chronicles of Tyre. We have in our Bible the chronicles of, of Jerusalem, you know, in, in the book of Chronicles. Well, Josephus had access to the chronicles of Tyre, which have since been lost to history. We don't have them today. They would be extremely valuable if we had them. But they were um, they were translated by, I believe, somebody named Hecatahius from from um, the, the Hebrew language, or the Phoenician tongue, as the Greeks called it, of Tyre, they were translated into Greek. And Josephus had access to them, and he quoted, that, he quoted from them at length. Now, that means that Carthage was founded probably about 800 B.C. to 850 B.C., and that was a Phoenician colony. That Now, Herodotus attests, and this is evident elsewhere, that almost all of the Phoenician colonies of the Mediterranean came from Tyre, and not from Sidon or the other cities. Now, the Phoenicians, the Greeks could never really sail west into the Mediterranean, and, and it was very dangerous for them to do so, because the Phoenicians had the lock on the western Mediterranean for a long time, until the Punic Wars. They had the Western Mediterranean locked up. And, and when they were defeated by Rome in the Punic Wars, only then could the Romans and, and sail out of, of the Mediterranean and, and investigate it at any great length and, and in any great great volume. That now, the Phoenicians, according to um, Strabo and Herodotus and, and many other historians, Diodorus Siculus, they were mining tin in Britain and Ireland. They were making their settlements in Britain and Ireland and, and all throughout Spain, that they were searching for amber on the shores of the Baltic, that, that, that they were colonizing the river valleys of France and, and, and um, at a very early time. But according to Strabo and Herodotus, that there, there was a clear connection with, with the tin trade in Britain and Ireland and and, and um, across Spain with the Phoenicians. And, and there is should be little doubt. Now, the Phoenicians of Thebes in Greece are described at length in a poem, Seven Against Thebes, and, and, in, and they're described in the tragic poets in Aeschylus and Euripides. These people are fair-skinned. They have blonde hair. The Thebes, the, the Phoenicians of, of Carthage... The Phoenicians of Carthage, Phoenician Dido is described by Dido, by, by Virgil, the Roman poet, describes Phoenician Dido, and, and even if his description is fanciful, because Dido lived long, 11 or 12 centuries before, well, well, I'm sorry, 8 centuries before Virgil, even if his description is fanciful, it shows 
what Virgil considered the ideal Phoenician to be. And Dido, the queen of Carthage, is described by Virgil as being blonde, fair, and beautiful. So that's how <laughs> Virgil, that, that's how he would expect a, Phine, a beautiful Phoenician woman to look, blonde and fair. Interesting, okay. And, and that's how Euripides, and that's how Aeschylus described the people of Thebes, and especially the women of Thebes in Greece, which was a Phoenician city. It was explicitly a Phoenician city, and the people were blonde, fair, and beautiful. And that's, a, Euripides' Euripides's play is Phoenician women, and Aeschylus wrote about the same topic, and his play is called Seven Against Thebes. And the people are described as blonde and beautiful and fair. And that's how they describe themselves. The Greeks describe themselves as redhead. I mean, we had raven-haired white people, don't get me wrong. Solomon in the book of, um, in the Song of Solomon in the Bible, King Solomon is described as having skin like ivory and eyes like pools of water. And he had raven hair. Hector of Troy, Hector the great prince of Troy in the, in, in, in the Iliad is described as having raven hair, but he had fair skin. And, and the Trojans were a fair-skinned white people. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, this this is I find this just fascinating to be honest with you, so. Now, now the Phoenicians, the, the Phoenicians who who settled the west and and the Tartesians, the the Japethites, well, we can't discount any of the Minoans and, and the other, the Phokians, the Phokians were Ionian Greeks, and, and they were from Phokis in, in Anatolia, I believe, and, and they made many settlements on the Black Sea, and, and they made metals, many settlements in the West. Marseille in France was originally Massilia. That was a, a settlement, that was an Ionian city that they had supplanted Phoenicians there, I believe, and, and they were from, from the Ionians of Phokis, and the Ionians were actually a Japhethite tribe. The Persians called them Yavana, and, and they were the first settlers. They were the first white settlers of, of Greece in the historical, you know, biblical and early historical period. So, so the Phokians were also great colonists, but they were not as notable as the Malaysians or the Phoenicians. If you look at the, the ancient legends of Ireland in the Book of Invasions, the first inhabitants are called the Firbolgs of Ireland, and they're difficult to identify precisely, but that's immaterial. The, the, the island is then said to have been in, invaded by the Tawatha de Danon, or the tribe of Dan, and the next invaders into the island are called the Millids or the Malaysians. And, and and the Malaysians can be identified as Phoenicians. That they were from Malaysia. They settled in from, from Miletus in in um, southwestern Anatolia. They settled in Spain and they settled in Ireland. Okay, so most of these people, at least their origins, are going to be either in Anatolia, which is modern day Turkey. Well, well, yeah, Levant. but the people of Anatolia came from the Levant or or, or from the related people in Egypt. Okay. Okay. The, okay. The, well, the inhabitants of the, of, of the Levant, the, the earliest inhabitants of the Levant, in, in fr from our culture, I mean, is archaeology that shows that there are very old and alien peoples in the Levant. That there's um, Catalhoyuk. Catalhoyuk is is a city they dug out of the Levant, what, which is um, very much like the cities of of the Dogon tribes in Kenya. That their, their dwellings with with um, that the entryways are in the roofs and they're basically underground and, and they have 
um, a very African motif in their decoration, the, the leopard and, and things that we would identify with Africa. And, and Catalhoyuk, uh, I don't even believe, uh, I think it's prehistoric and, and um, it, it could be explained in other ways, but I don't think it belongs to our race. Okay? That now, there were the ancient Hittites. Who, who were basically, they were considered an, an accursed people by the Hebrews. Well, the ancient Hittites were actually also considered an accursed people by the Assyrians. And it's right in the Akkadian inscriptions, you see the epithet, the accursed Hittites, several times. So so the Hittites, and, and they aren't white, and, and they seem to be, the, the Hittites are, are actually the big hook-nosed short people who are, and today's Jews can be connected to them, basically. That they're Hittites. Okay. Now, now, where, where geographically are, are the Hittites? You know, in relation to all of us. Well, well, the capital city of of Carchemish, the, the Hittites, it, it it's on the Upper Euphrates, or, or it's near the Upper Euphrates, and, and it's west okay. of it, and it's like sort of between like what we would consider Turkey and Syria. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a map right now, guys. It's it might be, you might find it helpful if you're following along here. Um, and the Assyrians, since you mentioned the Assyrians, where would they be located at then? They, they would well, they be well, in the they, same they, they, Assyria was a great empire, but but they were basically the 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 northern part of what we would consider Iraq today was what was their home turf. Okay. So the Hittites and the Assyrians are basically in sort of the same area, you know, northern Iraq. Well, well right. Northern the Hittites Iran. were west of the Assyrians, yes. Okay, okay. I just wanted to, to make that clear. And I don't know if you want to address the Assyrian captivity part right now since we're on this. Well, well we're, we're basically – the people of Western Europe that I've talked about so far who, who were primarily Phoenicians, right, right. In, in their original stock – and these people came from the Levant, they came through Carthage, they came through Iberia, which was called Iberia because it was settled by Hebrews, right, Eber? Well, well that those places, and, and Hebrew in, in Hebrew is Iber, by the way, or Eber. Now, now those, those people I would identify archaeologically as proto-Celts. They're the proto-Celts, okay. okay? Now, in... in um. 742 BC, the, the Assyrians come and, and they clean out, well, well, between then and 676 BC, because it, it was a process, they cleaned out the Levant. They cleaned out all of the cities, the ancient cities of the Israelites and Judah. And they deported all these people and they settled them in the cities of the Medes. Okay? Well, well these people, these people were known to the Assyrians as the Qumri. And they were known in all the Persian inscriptions as Sake. And the Greeks called them, the, these people, it was these people who by 600 BC had destroyed the Assyrian Empire. They destroyed the cities of the Assyrians in league with the Medes and the Babylonians. And Herodotus says that these people, who he calls Scythians, had ruled over all Asia for maybe, I think, I think he said 20 years. He may have said 26 years. I forget off the top of my head. It's all in my papers. Well, well, these people, after they destroyed the Assyrian Empire, a large group of these people broke off and crossed Anatolia. And they crossed Anatolia and they basically leveled Phrygia. The old nation, the, the old nation in central Anatolia, Phrygia. Phrygia was by all accounts, 
a, a colony of the Thracians. And the Thracians are mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 10. And they lived north of the Greeks in, in what we would consider um, Bulgaria today. Right, basically, okay. Basically, okay, the Thracians. And, and there's some pretty old archaeology in, in Thrace. Well, well, the Phrygians were a colony of the Thracians in Anatolia, according to the Greek classics. And, and the Cimmerians destroyed them and crossed the Bosporus, okay? And, and from that point, they migrated down the Danube River Valley. Okay, and even mainstream histories recognize this. Okay, archaeologists recognize this, and they'll tell you that the Cimmerians dispersed on the Hungarian plains about 500 BC. And I would say that the Cimmerians, okay, they are properly the Celts, right? We have Proto-Celts and Celts and P-Celts and Q-Celts. It's broken by language group, but the languages are very similar. And and it, it's these people traveled down the Danube River. They are the first people from Mesopotamia to cross in, in, in large significant numbers who, who maintained a lasting presence, right? There, there were certainly other people that, that, that there may have been other people from Mesopotamia early on. You can't rule out the, the traveling of people, right? There is archaeology in Germany and, and findings that don't support the, the existence of large colonies or, or large settlements, but do support human presence at various times and places along the river valleys and, and in different areas. But while none of those have ever built any lasting civilization in Germany, these people, these Cimmerians, the Greeks called this first wave of what we would consider to be the Germanic tribes, they called them Cimmerians for a reason. They called them Cimmerians because at the time that these people crossed from Asia into Europe, Akkadian was the lingua franca of the East. Akkadian is the language of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians called the Israelites, who they resettled along the uh, along the um, the Araxes River in what we would know as modern day Armenia. They would call right. these people Qumri. That's what the Assyrians called these people in their inscriptions, Qumri. So if you take the Assyrian Qumri, you could understand where the Greek. Kimmeroy came from, because Akkadian in 600 B.C. was the lingua franca of the East. Okay? So the Greeks get their name from the Assyrians. Who are these people? The Greeks had diplomatic relations with the Assyrians. They had trade relations with the Assyrians. Greek diplomats could speak the Akkadian language that the Assyrians used. And there's all sorts of records of that. Well, the Greeks would have called these new invaders into Europe Kimaroy after the fact that the Assyrians called them Khamri. That makes perfect sense. Now, these people had traveled down the Danube River Valley, and some of them went north, some of them crossed into Britain, where they're called the Kimri, and some of them settled along, along the Baltic and are described by later historians as, as, as dwelling on, on the Baltic coast in Germany, and some of them invaded Etruria, or the land of the Etruscans, and eventually sacked Rome. Now, by the time of the sacking of Rome, that, that's about 400 B.C. now. Okay? And the Greeks are basically calling the Scythian 
tribes that are migrating into Europe along the Danube River, in the 5th century B.C., they started calling them Galatahi. Okay? Galatahi comes from the Greek word Galus, which is milk. They called these people Galatahi. Homer called the Scythians mare milkers and milk drinkers. And they called them that because they were a pastoral people. They were always on the move. They were a pastoral people. They were migrating. They didn't plant. They lived off their flocks. That's how all the early Scythians and, and Chimerians are, 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 are described. Well, well, because the Greeks called them Galatahi, and, and they applied that word to all of these Germanic tribes, and, and aside from their earlier names of Scythians and, and Saka and Chimeroi or, or Chimerians, the Greeks called them Galatahi, so the Romans called them Gauls. Right, okay. Okay? And, and when the Gauls sacked, that they sacked Rome in, in um, well, well, right around 390 B.C. The <clears throat> Roman historian Livy, when the Gauls start moving into northern Italy, the Roman historian Livy calls them a strange new race to the Romans. That's how he describes them. In other words, they weren't in the north for a long time before the Romans encountered them. They weren't in the north. If they had lived in the north, the Romans would have known of them, and they wouldn't have called them a strange new race, in the words of the Roman historian Livy. They sacked Rome. Okay. They, they were newcomers when they were invading it, the, the lands of the Etruscans, and that's because they were the Chimerians that had migrated down the Danube River. Except that by that time, the Greeks weren't calling them all Kimeroi at the time, they were calling them also by the name of Galatahi, which was kind of poking fun at them for their pastoral lifestyle, which the Greeks looked down on and saw as rudimentary. Okay, okay, interesting. Now, the first wave of those Germanic tribes that came from Asia, the Greeks called Kimeroi, and that's because Akkadian was the lingua franca, and the, the Assyrians called the deported Israelites Qumri. We have on Persian inscriptions, we have inscriptions on the Behistun rock and, and other Persian inscriptions. We have multiple language inscriptions that use the Akkadian language, Aramaic, and Farsi. And, and where, the, where these people are called in the Persian language, Saka, they're called in the Akkadian language, Qumri. So the Saka, but, they're the, but they're the same people, correct? The Saka and the Qumri are the same people we have. Okay. What we ha and the Scythians, they're all the same people. Scythian is the Greek word for them. Qumri is the Assyrian word for them. Saka is the Persian word for them. We have inscriptions that equate those terms. Those, some okay. of those, one of those inscriptions in particular, which Herodotus quoted, I have the one inscription from two sources, from the actual inscription dug out of the ground by archaeologists, and from a quote of that inscription by Herodotus, where okay. Saka and Qumri are equated. Okay, let me ask you this real quick, and, and then maybe we got a couple guys here on hold. Maybe we'll take a call, and then we can continue on here. But just to clarify, so we, you know, we talked about Phoenicians and how they were you know, settling the Mediterranean areas, and then they ended up you know, settling northern Spain, northern France, and the British Isles. 
And then these other groups, which originate more in uh, eastern Turkey, if you're looking at a modern map. Now, did they did they go across Turkey and then north into like Bulgaria, Romania, and that that route? Well, did well, they go around? It, well, like, well, right, and that's hard to determine. A lot of the Saka okay. went around, and and that's evident from the histories that the Saka migrations, the the, the migrations of, of the Scythians, were around the top of the Black Sea and right, down okay. along the Danube River Valley. Okay. So there was pro there were more than likely there was th this was happening at the same time or, or you know some tribes were going across Turkey others were going north and, and settling the northern yeah, yes, part of the, the Black Yes, the Cimmerians, the first wave of, of of those people from Asia that that flattened Phrygia they came across to Anatolia. Right. Okay. But then but also there was other tribes going you know between basically the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea going north and then and then west. Yes, and, and the first okay. land, yeah, you know, Sakasene is in, in is in what we would know as northern Iraq, Iraq and part of southern Armenia today. Sakasene, what was um, what was a very lush district, and and it was described by Strabo as very fertile, and, and that was a a great Scythian or Saka settlement, and that's exactly where the 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 Assyrian inscriptions and the Bible leave the deported children of Israel and Judah. Now, right. okay. Armenia, Armenia actually comes from a Hebrew word, from, from two Hebrew words, meaning mountain parts. And the next country north described by Strabo, and all these people are related by Strabo, the next country north in the Caucasus at that time is called Iberia. Spain is called Iberia because it was established by Hebrews and it was on the other side of the Mediterranean because the word Iber means to cross over as a verb in Hebrew. That's why Spain was called Iberia and it was a Hebrew settlement and because it was Phoenician and they spoke Hebrew. Iberia in the Caucasus that we see in Strabo and Diodorus Siculus and a whole lot of other historians mention this land in the Caucasus Mountains is Iberia, just north of ancient Armenia, okay? Well, which Armenia comes from Hebrew words, which mean mountain parts. Iberia is the other side of the Caucasus Mountains, that's why it's called Iberia, because the word Eber means to cross over, and it's a Hebrew term. And these are Scythian lands with Hebrew words for their names. <coughs> with Hebrew words for their names, these are Scythian lands. Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus wrote his book, Wars of the Judeans, and right in the, 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 the introduction to the book, he explains that he wrote this book in Aramaic, so that the northern barbarians could know what the fate was of Judea and Jerusalem. Why would Flavius Josephus care about the northern barbarians? Flavius Josephus describes in his time in the first century an innumerable multitude of the children of Israel who had been taken away by the Assyrians many centuries before, actually six, seven centuries before his time, who lived on the other side of the Euphrates. Now, that is actually corroborated by the book, the, the biblical apocryphal book called Two Esdras, okay? And, and Flavius Josephus writes the same thing in, in his Antiquities of the Judeans, and in his Wars of the Judeans, he says explicitly that he wrote 
this in Aramaic so that the northern barbarians could understand what was happening in, in Judea. Well, when we read all the secular histories, we don't find bunches of Jews on the other side of the Euphrates. We find <laughs> the Scythians. We find these people called the Saka that the Assyrians called the Qumri. And the Assyrians called the Israelites that they deported out of Palestine the Qumri in all their inscriptions. So he, so he basically knew who these people were. He knew that they were part of... Uh, yes, he did. He understood you know, the Flavius Josephus, the first century Judean historian, who was a white man, okay, he understood that the Parthians, the Scythians, and the Alans were all descended from those children of Israel who were deported from the Assyrians. Okay, interesting. Well, Bill, I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, let's take a, we got a, we got a few calls here. Um, let, let's take a couple calls, and then I also like to get into um, the, the, your language studies because um, I think that's still a little bit unclear for a lot of people. So maybe we can address that, and then you know we can we can take it wherever we want here. Um, let me let me six six one area code six six one. You are on the air. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Six six one. Okay, let me see here. This is six six one. You're on the air. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Okay, they just must be wanting to listen in here. I don't know. Okay, we got an eight oh two area code. Eight oh two. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from, please? Yeah, Jeff from Vermont. Jeff, how's it going, buddy? Good, John. How you doing? Good, good, good. How are you? Good. Um, I just have a couple of questions for Mr. Cienko. Um, to uh, uh, with Charles Giuliani and um, um, Eli James, and um, I, 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 I found it quite fascinating that um, he, he um, was talking about um, the Bible and how it represents his life, whatever, blah, blah. And I, wanted, I have two questions, which is, what, what is um, um, Mr. Fink's um, thing, a talking donkey? Because he, he believes in talking donkey, and I, I want to know what his aspect on that is. And the second thing is, like, I really – my, my actually beef with, with Fink and CI and all this other stuff is that Mr. Fink actually is a convicted murderer, and I just want to know what he thinks about what, what Yeshua – Jesus would think about his conviction during that man in Jersey. Okay. That, yep. Thanks, Jeff. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, if he wants to repeat government slander against me, that 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 um that that was actually defeated in in state court where they had had to dismiss their charges, and and if he wants to repeat um, federal slander against me, which occurred in 1988 and 1989, it's fine. He could join my accusers. I, I don't care about that. Okay, and I don't know what that has to do with what I've said. I don't know what that has exactly. to do with all of my citations, with all of my historical research, with all of my biblical research. I mean, that's an ad hominem attack, and he sounds like a Jew to me. I mean, well, well, here, here's the thing, though. I, I, I've, Jeff has called in here a few times, and, and he is a good guy. At least he seems like it. I've never talked to him personally, but so many people just simply get so stuck on these on these stupid minor issues. And you know they don't—they don't actually hear the information you're presenting. You know, it's like they want to talk about, 
you know, either whether Jesus was real, or, and you know, the whole focus of the show is the migration of the European peoples and where we come from. So, did you want to address this? Well, well absolutely. I don't want to. I'm not going to address the talking donkey slander. I, I mean, okay. I'm here to discuss the historicity of the Bible, and in spite of what he might think about the myths, the, the the myths, if we want to call them myths, the miracles, if we want to call them miracles, it's immaterial. Yeah, you know, the Greeks, the the Greeks also interwove a, a lot of things that were fascinating in, in with their histories. Do we discard all the history because we don't believe in, in some of the fascinating things? Do we, our race has always embedded important moral lessons and important historical lessons into um, intricate tales, for instance. Now, I'm not dismissing any of the Bible as true. I believe that all of the Bible is true. However, at, at least as it was originally transmitted, right? Because it has been tampered with by men. However, it doesn't matter what you think about God. It doesn't matter what you think uh, about Jesus Christ. In relationship to this discussion, the historical narrative laid out in the Old Testament, is very reliable when it's compared to what we know about archaeology and the ancient inscriptions and the classical records. Once you properly identify the parties and once you realize that these things are true, so long as you reject the Jewish lies concerning the Bible. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I actually had that question written down for you, and, and just wh why you consider it important to properly identify the race and origins of the people discussed in the Bible and in class literature. I mean, this, this seems to me very important if you want to really understand what's going on in our ancient history, you have to properly identify these people, and we're not going to be able to do that unless we talk about it and talk to experts like you who have done the research and do know this stuff. Well, well we, can't, well, we can't let the Jewish narrative, the Jews lie about everything. And most, exactly. but most honest Americans who who have really looked into the Jewish media, who have really looked into the Jewish academia, who who have really looked into the, the these damn Jewish bankers and politicians who who have usurped our nation today, what well, we have to understand that these people are congenital liars, and they have been down through generation after generation. Now, now, if the best they could come up with to oppose me is Jeff, this clown in Vermont. That then they're not going to do very good. That, that right. their arguments are always going to fail. They're not going because Jeff is a liar too. That, well, see, here's the thing. I mean, I wish if somebody has a a point of disagreement with you or, or whatever. I mean, let, let's at least stay focused on the conversation here and not bring it. You know, these other these other questions. You know, but we got one more call here. This is, uh, I believe, probably somebody calling on one one. So, caller, can you uh, let us know your name and where you're calling from? Hi, it's Julie. I'm calling from New Hampshire. Hey, Julie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Did you have a question for us? I did. I did. I was just wondering um, a couple of things. Um, so, I, I used to be a Catholic, and I studied a lot of the Bible and went to Catholic schools, speak through, and taught at a Catholic school. So I, I'm pretty familiar with the Bible. And so my question for Mr. Brand is, if there is a personal God, do you believe in a personal God, sir? 
Do I are believe? Asking, are you asking? Do, do I believe in a personal God? A personal God is an yeah, idol, it's, it's, right? It's a personal God. A personal God to me would be an idol, right? I, I believe in in the God who is the creator of heaven and earth and all the things in them, right? So, so I guess the question is, to whom do you pray? Do you pray to a God? To to whom do I pray? Yes, I pray to a God. Yes. Okay, so that, I guess in my but, but that's a religious statement, and this is a historical God, right? program, right? Uh, I mean, you're asking religious questions. You're asking religious questions on a historical program. I don't see the connection, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a question about the history? I mean, because I guess, like, because I was affirmation of the Bible, which is you know, as historical as a mythology, and so my question is: If you believe in a personal God, is He impotent or is He cruel? Is he or impotent okay. or is he cruel? Thanks for the call. Go ahead, Bill. You can you can answer. Go ahead. Well, well, God's purposes and and man's purposes are two different things, right? And and is God cruel? Is he cruel in the eyes of man? Yes. Is he cruel in the eyes of God? Not necessarily. Not once we understand the will of God, and once not once we understand the laws of God, and that we are we are not going to be allowed to continue to mock God by violating his laws over and over again. And, and in fact, what one of the first laws of God in the Bible are kind after kind, everything after its kind. And if you violate that law of kind after kind, and, and you are judged for it by God, such as the, ex, the, the commandment by God to exterminate all of the Canaanites, the, the Canaanites, who were actually the ancestors of today's Jews, were, at that time and today, the, the most perverted, vile, disgusting people who ever walked the face of the earth. And, and that's why we have the word sodomy, because of what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and that's why those people were commanded to be eliminated. Right, okay. Well, again, you know, this isn't the, the questions that she was asking weren't in any way really related to our conversation here tonight. So let's move on. Um, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the language studies you've done. Um, and, and, and it, if I, I don't have your website pulled up here, but off the top of my head, I believe you have a number of them, basically proving that English actually comes from Hebrew. Well, and, well there, there are hundreds, there are hundreds of English words, simple, basic English words. I'm not talking about borrowed words like cinnamon, which is a borrowed word, or cannabis, which is a borrowed word. And both of those words come from, have their ultimate, have their ultimate um, derivation in Hebrew. And and they could be called borrowed words. That there are hundreds of common English words. Words like um side or cover or coffee or, or grope or grab that that have cognate in both meaning and sound that have cognate words in Hebrew that have to have their op that their origination in Hebrew because these are basic English words and because the the, the um, coincidences would be absent and, and, and the, the chance of such coincidences are, are astronomically, you know, numerically impossible to have six, seven hundred English words with, with similar sounding and meaning Hebrew words without a direct relationship between the languages would just be incredible. 
Right. Okay. And in the essays that you've written on these word studies, how how do you do it? Do you basically just compare words and and show how their root is actually in Hebrew? Is that because I, I really haven't sat down and read any of these essays? Well, well, right. Um, basically, we're we're just comparing um, the the lexicons. That's that that's all that needs to be done. And, and once the lexicons are compared and, and all of the startling similarities are noticed, it's hard to to deny. And I've had actually. Um, I had I was dogged by, by a Hebrew scholar a couple of years ago who, who picked on my list of, of maybe the five or six hundred English words that I display. He picked on my list and he was able to pick out a couple of words which may have been borrowed words or which may have been coincidences. And when I went down the list, he he had to go away. Right. Interesting. Well, did, did you have any other uh, anything else to say about the you know the language studies? Or, uh, you know, the migrations we've been talking about. I, ha- I have some other random questions that kind of aren't really – well, they're related to our to our discussion here, but they're not specific about the, the migrations and whatnot. So did you have anything else to say about that? Well, well, I don't know. Yeah, you know, without getting into minute details about any particular area, I, I don't know what more I could add. I, I've laid right. out a, a general um, phase of sea settlement from the Levant to Anatolia to, to Greece to Italy and, and on to well, – well, the coast of North Africa was at one time almost all white and and all, all the way up to Britain and Ireland. That's the first phase of European settlement. And, and that phase took about – um, 3,000 years, and, and then the, the second phase w- would be the deported Israelites, the, the Israelites deported by the Assyrians who, who had regathered and started to break off in, in various waves of tribes around the Black Sea and, and into Europe, and, and they weren't all Israelites. Some of them were Persians, and some of them were Assyrians and Medes, and, and the Greeks talk about the, the tribes of Assyrians and, and Medes that the Israelites had taken off into captivity and enslaved. And, and, and those people are, they are the origin of the Germanic and the Slavic people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it, what you made clear is the, you know, the, the sea migration and then, you know, later on the, uh, the land migration through Anatolia and, you know, the Black Sea area. So right. Now, now there's that... a lot of pagans. Let, let, let me say this. There's a lot of pagans and there's a lot of New Agers who insist on, on a northern origin for Aryan man. And, and that's impossible for two reasons. The first reason that's impossible is because, and, and this is evident, fully evident, both in the historical record and in the geological record, that it was way too cold for man, without technology, today for us to dwell in an, in an extremely harsh, cold environment, what we need furnaces, what we need fuel, what we need a lot of clothing technology, for us to survive for long periods of time takes a lot of time and effort. And these people did not have the tools that we have today. They did not have the technology that we had today. They had no means whatsoever to find sustenance for their flocks and for themselves in vegetation in the cold climates of the north that, that uh, I mean, Europe was just coming out of an ice age. The forestry, the forestry proves it. The geology proves it. And there was no way these people could have survived in the north for that long a period of time. That's the first reason. The second reason is the archaeology. Even though we have 
um, scattered objects in diverse places found in archaeology. We have no archaeology whatsoever that tells us that large populations dwelt in these areas in, in the times before what the, the, um, the, the recording of the histories which we have from the Greeks and Romans. There, were, there was no way that large populations of German people were settled for any length of time in Northern Europe before 500 B.C. It didn't happen. Now, the Germanic tribes, as they are described by Strabo, by Herodotus, by, by all of the Greek historians, Theodore Siculus, these people all migrated from Asia, and their own records, their own Germanic poetry tells us that most of them had migrated from Asia at a rather recent time after 500 B.C. Now, these people were pastoral and on the move. Strabo described them as living in wagons, in covered wagons. That's how they're described. They're not described as a people who, who were um, settled for any length of time in one place, and there's absolutely no archaeology. Now, I'm not going to believe anyway that my German ancestors, who from the time of Strabo in the first century A.D., to the time of today, are, 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 have, have been for the last thousand years, the world's greatest engineers for the last thousand years, probably from the time of the Holy Roman Empire and the building of the Gothic cathedrals. These people have been the world's greatest engineers for a thousand years. Are you going to tell me that they sat in northern Europe on their asses in the freezing cold for any length of time and there's no archaeology that these people sat around staring at each other's belly buttons for, for thousands <laughs> of years? The, the idea that Germans came from the north and, and, and inhabited the north for all those years without any lasting monuments is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> well it's said. absolutely ridiculous. If you believe that, you're just kidding yourself. Right. These people had yeah. civilization. They always had civilization, but... Before they built it in, before they rebuilt their civilization in Europe, their civilization was in Mesopotamia and the Levant. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that certainly makes a lot more sense than you know anything else I've ever I've ever heard or, or read about. So I, I, I do think that there's a lot to what you're saying. Um, one question I had, real quick. Uh, have you ever read the book uh, Thoughts Thoughts on, or I'm sorry, uh, March of the Titans: A History of the White Race? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I think, I uh, think Arthur Kemp, I, 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 he, he was, I work with this young man called, he calls himself Sword Brethren, we'll leave it at that. And, and we do a lot of work together. We did a whole series of podcasts together on World War II and Germany and, and the secret societies and the Freemason conspiracies right. and all that. Well, well, Which um, is excellent, by the way, guys. If you're not familiar with that, go to mk.christagenia.org and check out those podcasts because it's, Easily the best information about Adolf Hitler and World War II on the internet, in my opinion. Go ahead, Bill. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that. Okay. Well, that, that's great. Great info. Well, well, that's just one of my hobbies, right? It, it's just a hobby. It's not my core study, but but I very much enjoy doing it, and it needs to be done. And, and that's besides the point. That the um, well, well. Now I'm sorry, I lost the original point in, in mentioning. <laughs> I, asked you, I asked you about the the March the Titan. Yeah, yes. Well, well, Brian Brian had challenged um, Kemp to to a discussion, but because he naysay CI and he upholds the Jewish idea that Semites are Arabs and Jews. 
Uh, okay? Uh, okay. And, and he upholds that in his book, and for that reason I've rejected his work. Even though I'm sure there's some good work in it, the Egyptians were white. Yes, the Egyptians were white. The Ethiopians, they were originally white. The, the, um, the Assyrians, the, the Persians, they were all white at one time. Yeah, you know, and this is what, what, what really gets me about white nationalists. Yeah, you know, white nationalists will believe that the Persians were originally white. And, and we have clear records in, in, in the Greek writings that they were, right? Xenophon, and Xenophon marveled at how white the skin of the Persians was because they didn't take their clothes off when they worked outdoors where the Greeks did and they were tanned. And the Hebrews, Phoenicians, they all did, right? Well, well, the Persians didn't and they remained, the whiteness of their skin remained for that reason. And the Greeks marveled at how white the Persians were. Well, well, um, yeah, you know, white nationalists will take it for granted. They'll, they'll believe, and it's true, but they'll believe that the Indians... Were, no, were white at one time, and they're not today. It's pretty clear, right? That the Afghanis, the Afghanis were white, and and it's pretty clear that they were at one time, but they're not today. And, and white nationalists will believe that the Egyptians were originally white, and that's perfectly true. And and they were at one time, but they aren't today. Why won't white white nationalists accept the fact that the Semites who lived amidst all these people? And, and who are related to all these people in the inscriptions and in the histories, why won't they accept the fact that they were originally white? They just refuse to do it. It's incredible to me. Well, I think the big hang-up for a lot of people is they just that they can't accept Christianity and, 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 and I like yours interpretation of Christianity in the Bible. Well, I did a program on my website which takes original Greek cultures that existed in the epic and, and tragic, the periods of the epic and tragic poets, and compares it to the Hebrew Bible. And there's an incredible number of parallels. There's an incredible number of parallels. Greek culture in its roots is Hebrew, and that can be proven. It can be proven beyond doubt. That I, I did a program with Carolyn Yeager Friday, and we were talking about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, and I compared that to Agamemnon's sacrifice of Iphigenia as described by Hesiod in the Cupria in the epic cycle, and it's the same damn story. It's the same exact story. Just substitute Artemis and, and Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, and it's the same exact story. Right. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, Bill. We've got a couple other callers here that have been waiting. Uh, let me let me take this one. It's uh, 417 area code. Thanks for holding on here for a minute. You are on the air. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? After Mark Lindstedt from Granby, Missouri. Hey, here's another Jew. <laughs> no, thanks, Jew. You know, thanks, Jew. I mean, uh, what happens is that, uh, well, we, we won't go into it here. My detractors have. The best my detractors have is, is is slander about my past. Well, and, and and the discussion here is not your past. The discussion is the is the history and the migrations of the European peoples. And I don't think we've had a single caller call in tonight that wants to discuss the topic. You know, people, everybody is just so damaged during this entire movement. We can't even listen to each other. We can't even talk to each other rationally. Everybody's always trying to you know accuse somebody of this or that. Grow up, people. I'm going to put you back. Pastor Mark, I believe was your name. Do you have any other relevant points to make before we move on to the next call? Go ahead. You're live. The relevant point. The relevant point is think. Well, let's go ahead and deny this. But essentially, let's go ahead and talk about what Sick is talking about. Think had, what, 12 and a half years 
They get 12 and a half years to study some Greek and some Horatus. If you listen to what he's been saying, it's all a mixture. A little bit of Herodotus and a very little bit of Comparae and a little bit of uh, Ray Cat, and he mixes it up. I don't quote any of those people, right? They put that into a mess. Think of, you know, think is not. Think is not a Christian identity pastor. He's not a, he's not a Greek scholar. He's not a historian. And just a little bit while ago, he was saying that there were no people in Europe before, what, 500 B.C. or 5 years or so? Um, folks, you have, you have old Magdan men living in the Ukraine 43,000 B.C. Well, well, you know, you I talked about, whoa, 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 slow down. I talked about some of the relics in Europe and the gap in the archaeological records and how our predecessors are not our ancestors. Did you hear that part of the program? That was the first, that was one of the first things that we that we got into. Pastor Mark, uh, did you hear that or do you ever reply? Well, the answer the answer is that Fred was jacking about how his German ancestors didn't sit around or something like that. You have you have in copyright John Martin Winstead's a, a well-known clown, right? Uh, I mean, okay, Bill, hold on, go ahead. Copper, he's an actual Christian identity scholar, has been has been pretty well mistranslated in that people say is that he says that Adam was the first white man. If you listen to his actual speaking, he says that Adam was the first white man of a new white race. And there were there were white people before Adam, but think and Emmaiser, they they want to claim Yahweh didn't make the six day beast of the field. I mean, well, they're against all the John Martin Linstead is, is a um, a half Jewish child molester. He spent three years in a nut house in in Missouri in the state institution for molesting his grandson. Okay, he, he, I, I don't even know who this guy is. Well, well I'm, I'm explaining who he is. He claims to be a, a um, Christian identity pastor, and he's really a Jewish infiltrator who has done nothing but discredit Christian identity for the last 10 years, or, or maybe 15. Well, here's the thing. He didn't really want to talk about what we've been talking about for the past hour and a half, and that's the migrations of the European peoples. Well, well he's so, another one of my detractors, and all he has is ad hominem attacks and and senseless rants. That that's basically right. all all he has oh, okay. capacity to do. Well, we got we got an eight five nine area code calling in. Let's see if they actually are uh, interested in in discussing what we've been discussing for the past hour and a half. Eight five nine. Did you have a question or comment about what we've been talking about? Uh, yeah, uh, and I can confirm that the previous caller uh, is a professional agent provocateur that has been. Uh, falsely accusing leaders within Christian identity for over 10 years. So I, I wouldn't have, uh, take anything he has to say with any uh, credibility. Okay. Uh, my question uh, would uh, go uh, into the language department dealing with the Tower of Babel uh, and how that's misconstrued, I think, by a lot of people that uh, languages of different races emanated from that point. Uh, could uh, Mr. Fink explain to us that uh, 
in regards to language, how that was a diffusion of our own uh, various Aryan languages. Well, well, right. No matter what, no, no matter what alphabet system we used, and, and for the most part, Europe has always used the European people of today have always used the Hebrew alphabet. They've always used what scholars call the Phoenician alphabet. However, inscriptions prove beyond doubt that the Hebrew alphabet was not used in the Levant until the invasion of the Hebrews under Joshua, according to the Bible, into the Levant in the 15th century B.C. That's when the Phoenician alphabet became prominent in the Levant. Before that time, the Canaanite tribes and the Syrians and the other people inhabiting the Levant used a form of cuneiform. Now, whether it was the cuneiform of Sumer, the cuneiform of the Akkadians, or the Hebrew language is immaterial. Our people have always had what we call inflected languages, where the beginnings and endings of words change depending upon the part of speech, the, the number of a verb, the tense of a verb, various other things. In English, we see inflections with the addition of ing for participles, of ed for past tense verbs, things like that. They're called inflections. The apostrophe s, which denotes possession, that's an inflection. Now, English inflection are pretty basic. The inflections of, of other languages like Greek and Latin, and even the Romance languages today that, that, that um, descended from Latin are, are much more complex. However, the inflection that the inflection in language and in vocabulary words that sets the Indo-European languages apart. And the Semitic languages, it, it's argued that they're not Indo-European. But I've studied enough Hebrew to understand that even though the Jews use much different terms for, for some of their inflections, the Hebrew language is indeed an Indo-European language. That sets our languages apart from the languages of the rest of the world, which are not inflected, which are basically um, rudimentary and, and, and crude compared to Indo-European languages and, and, and um, are, are totally unrelated. It's the, so in the, other words, it's, it's not just uh, uh, phonetic similarities in language. Uh, the um, Semitic or uh, Aryan languages have a, a complexity to them that uh, non-white languages do not have. Well, well right, absolutely. But, you know, let me ask the question real quick. Um, what language? What are you basically saying that all modern European languages, whether they're Germanic or the Romance languages or even Slavic, they all basically come from Hebrew? They're all rooted in Hebrew. Is that well, well, they're not all rooted in Hebrew per se, but they're all rooted in those languages in both Hebrew or Aramaic and the languages that are related to them, like Akkadian, Persian. That they're all. Um, they're, they're all, and, and even modern linguists have recognized, but they, they'll leave Hebrew out of it, that all of the Indo-European languages, the, the, the languages of the white race, even though they leave Hebrew out of it, and they do, they leave the Semitic languages out of it, but that doesn't mean that it's true. And they do that because of, of the, the sensibilities of the Jews and, and the claims that the Jews make. Well, well, all of the Indo-European languages basically have a, a – um, can be traced back to a parent tongue. There's a, um, 
a lot of people will tell me, well, well, none of the mainstream anthropologists will agree with me. None of the Indo-European scholars agree with, with, with the Christian identity viewpoint of the settlement of Europe. And basically, none of them agree with each other. The, the, if you take a map, and, and you could go get J.P. Mallory, his name is, and he wrote a book recently in the 1980s called In Search of the Indo-Europeans. And he has a map of Europe and Eurasia, and he has thatching on that map, which represents the ideas of different anthropologists on the original homeland of the Indo-European people. And there is no place in Asia and Europe left uncovered with thatching. If you get 30 anthropologists, you'll find 30 different theories for the original homeland of the Indo-European people. However, there is one that I know of, and, and I haven't read the entire field of anthropology, but as far as I know, there is one scholar in anthropology who agrees along general terms with everything I said tonight. His name is Essay Grigoriev. He's a Russian anthropologist, and, and he has traced the Indo-European people back to what he calls ancient Kurdistan. Once you understand what Kurdistan is, you'll understand it. That is the ancient land of Padanaram of the Hebrew people, south of the Caucasus Mountains in what we would consider today as northern Syria. And he would agree with the same things that I say about the Indo-European languages and about the origins of the people in Europe in Mesopotamia, in Padanaram, or what he calls Kurdistan. And, and he's quoted in my papers. The, uh, the language scientists, uh, uh, sciences in the 19th century uh, were much more accurate than uh, later universal uh, university studies that uh, have succumbed to Jewish pressure uh, to uh, warp and... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, distort uh, the realities of language? Well, well yes, they did, because the, the language scientists of this, the, the 18th and 19th centuries understood that the, the, the division of languages along biblical and classical grounds. Yes, that is true. And that's the way they divided and classified the languages, and those classifications actually do make perfect sense. Except that the the field of linguistics, just like the field of of archaeology, has been perverted by the Jews so that they can maintain their false sense of identity and keep it secure. Because the Jew does not want you to understand. The Jew does not want you to understand at all the identity of the people of the Bible and the ancient Hebrew people. The mask will, the, the mask to, will uh, fall off the face of the Jew. the name of uh, Franz Boaz, a Jew, he was responsible for turning anthropology upside down. Yes, that's true. But, but my, my, my own, you know, my own fault, and one man can't study um, in every field. My own fault is that I don't read any of Franz Boaz. I don't care. He's a Jew. I wouldn't read him. I don't want to know what he says. I know he's, everything that he touches is perverted. How do I know that? Because I know he's a Jew. He's um, the idea of the noble savage. The, the, the idea of egalitarianism is based in, in large part on the work of, of that perverted Jew, Franz Boaz. Bill, Bill, I a, Bill, I had a question. Call on one second. Uh, you can stay on the line here, but let me just ask a question because we're we're actually almost out of time. We got about twelve minutes left. 
Um, and I wanted to ask this. There, there seems to be – I mean if you just look at the history of the 20th century, we basically saw the triumph of Talmudic Judaism over the white European peoples. And you know, I, I think if you just look at the 20th century, that's basically what it was. It was uh, you know, you look at World War One, World War Two. It was white people killing other white people for the benefit of the Jew. Yes, that's it what is. It was, and the benefit of communism. So, Bill, why why do you think that the Jews absolutely hate the Germans and and, and you know always have until they could finally subjugate them? Why is there this historic uh, hatred of, of Germans and, and and other white white peoples in general by the Jews? Well, well, because th this struggle it is it, it goes back to Genesis chapter three. And this, and the murder of Cain and Abel, and Genesis chapter three is basically an an allegory. It's an it's a story written very allegorically, and it describes a race mixing event, and it describes that the descendants, that the subsequent chapters of Genesis describe the descendants of Adam or the real white man, and the descendants of Cain or the mixed race man. And um, Genesis chapter 3 is an allegory for sexual indiscretion and race mixing. And Adolf Hitler knew that. Adolf Hitler said that the original sin in this world was the sin against blood and race. And and, and there's several quotes on, 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 on my Mein Kampf website, project website from Adolf Hitler to demonstrate that he understood that, that very thing. And, and the struggle between... Um, Cain and Abel, the struggle between the Edomites and, and the Canaanites and, and the Israelites, that this, that they're all manifestations. And the struggle today be, between the white Aryan and, and the Jew, they're all manifestations of that same struggle. The Jew represents Satan in the world today and, and all of the, the, the mixed races and, and they're, they're set in opposition to our race. And, and the Jew attempts to destroy our race by talking us into race mixing over and over and over again. All of the fall of the ancient empires happened because they absorbed non-white races and eventually they balkanized, fractured, and, and became easy prey for their enemies. Well, it's interesting you say that because that is basically the central theme of that book, March of the Titans, The History of the White Race, is that the downfall of all white civilization is always – an infiltration of non-whites and, and, and a loss of that creative core, which was all represented in the white race. And this is something Hitler talks about as well in, uh, in Mein Kampf. Well, well absolutely. The Bible, the, the Bible is a white history book. The Bible it is allegory. It's a lot of allegory. I, I don't care what you think about the mythological parts, but the Bible is a lot of allegory and a lot of history and history that can be verified. And it's a white history book. And for white people... To cede that to the Jews is not to understand that the Jews have never created anything. The people we know as Jews today, they've never created a society. They have infiltrated and usurped, just like they did it in Washington in this past century, just like they did it in London in the 17, 16 and 1700s, just like they did it in Berlin, they did it in Kiev, they did it everywhere they ever went. They infiltrate societies, that they, they, they mix them, and they destroy them. Okay, they did it to Rome, they did it to Constantinople, they did it to Persia, they did it to Egypt, they did it to Jerusalem. Right. Right, yeah. I, 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we we got one more call here. I'll, I'll bring this to my last caller. I'll on go next. ahead and hang up. Oh, okay, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Um, we got an 818 area code. 818, can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Yes, hello, I'm Barry. I'm calling from Texas. I have a California number. Okay. How's it going? Do you have, we only have a couple minutes here. Do you have a, you have a yeah. comment or question for us? Yeah, good question. First, I'll, I'll preface my question with uh, saying that uh, I appreciate everything that, that Bill is doing, and uh, I think he's very articulate and very gentlemanly for keeping his temper when uh, it's very difficult to do so. Right. Uh, the subject matter at hand is uh, very important to me and has been for many years, and I think he's doing a very good job for many different types of people that happen to be white, and he happens to be helping people that are non-whites by doing that as well because we can't help other people if we can't help ourselves. So I, I would like to say uh, that, in, and I have a question that uh, is pertinent. Uh, in South Africa, before the end of apartheid, the scientists did a lot of work, and they were some of the top scientists in the world uh, that weren't hampered by Jewish uh, interference. Um, I was wondering, is there a place or website that I can go to to garner to any information about some of their work before the... Uh, the end of apartheid. Well, well, you, you know, I really don't. You're you're hitting me with a field that I know nothing about. I do know some people in South Africa and, and that have been in this longer than I have, and I could ask them if you'll be glad if you'll send me a website with a little description of that. Uh, I'm sorry, if you'll send me an email with a little description of that, uh, I'll be glad to ask some of the South Africans that I know if, if they can help me. That'd be very good. Yeah, I think that uh, it might be very helpful to some of your research as well. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if Hitler was the first to claim that, uh, or say, you know, with truth that that uh, we come from uh, Eurasia, basically. Um, were there people before Hitler that uh, had that idea? Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. This that this is, you know, if you read um, Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons, he he basically traces the Saxons. Back to Mesopotamia. If you read Dr. George Moore in 1860 in England, published a book called The Lost Tribes and the Saxons of the East and the Saxons of the West. And in that book, he also connected Buddhism to the Saxons, which, which is, what, which is the truth. And this has been known that this, the, the, the information that I'm conveying, and one of the offshoots, one of the products of this information is called British Israelism. And British Israelism has some serious problems, don't get me wrong, because they accept the Jews as the tribe of Judah and that led to their demise. But, but, British Israelism was based on archaeology and history and was in large part true. But, but they, they were also very obnoxious about it and tried to eliminate Germans and Irishmen and Scots from the picture because they, they were also um, infiltrated with Jews and, and poisoned by, by, by the Jewish ideas of, of, um, of, of hegemony and, and, and usurpation. So. Okay, I had a, I put 818. I think that was on down in Texas. I put him back on hold or, or on mute just because we were getting some feedback there. Right. Well, he could send an email. I'll try to find out about his South African scientists. If, if he just write a sentence or two describing, yeah, you know, we're trying to give me whatever information he had on it, and, and I'll try to see, talk to, there's some old timers in South Africa and in Europe who might be able to help me with that and, and point okay. him in the right direction, right? Info at org. 
Okay, thanks a lot. And and Bill, do, do you have time to maybe stay over five or ten minutes? Yes. No, I, 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 I okay. Can, yes. Okay. Well, we're, we got one more call here. This is uh, I believe this is Lou, who also has a program on Blog Talk Radio with Renegade Broadcasting. So let me see if I can bring Lou in here. Lou, is that you? Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm here. How you so, doing, man? I'm good. Uh, I just have a question. Uh, why would God put the people with the lowest melanin camps in the middle of the desert? Excuse me? Please repeat that. You cut out right yeah. in the middle of it. Yeah, why would God put the people with the lowest melanin counts in the desert? Well, why would he put the people in... Well, well, first, it's very clear from ancient history that that region that you know is a desert today wasn't always a desert. That You, you know, the first there were riverbeds running through the Sahara Desert. Did you know that? that I mean, they're not rivers anymore. There are drawings of animals and lush... Um, scenes of vegetation which are laying out there in the middle in rocks inscribed in rocks in the middle of the Sahara Desert where animals haven't dwelt in 2,000 years or 3,000 years or 4,000 years but at well, one time that, it was a very lush area there, that's, the, that's the same point I mean they would still well, have, well uh, you're imagining that this place was always a desert why are you imagining that it was always a desert because it wasn't well, it, the, the Egypt at one desert, time, Egypt. It's a point. It's a point that it, it's. Too it's high. very clear at one Up time have, that right. Egypt oh, okay. and Arabia. Guys, 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 hold on, hold on. Well, well he just look. won't let me talk, right? He right, just okay. won't let me talk. He's being a clown. There's, it's right. very clear at one time that Egypt and Arabia were very fertile and lush and supported very, very large flocks of animals. Things that they can't do today. So obviously, it wasn't always a desert. Okay. Okay, let me get Lou back on here. Lou, your response? Well, the the fact isn't that it was a desert. It's that it's too hot there to support uh, large groups of people with white skin colors. Well, well, that's that, that's not true because it obviously did support large groups of people with a white skin color. The the Roman legions didn't have too much of a problem. That the um, water was scarce at times, but it was attainable. Look at Australia today. Uh, I mean, look look at this the American Southwest. We have many arid regions in the world where people have sustained themselves for large periods of time, but Palestine. And Arabia, which was called Arabia Felix by the Romans, which actually means happy Arabia, Arabia were very much more fertile at one time and lusher than they are today. It, it wasn't the inhospitable. It wasn't the inhospitable climate that it is today, three and four thousand years ago. Yes, but it, it's a matter of the sun and the heat. Um, they would have all died 90 seconds. Cancer, or they would have the higher disease. Well, well that's okay, but you're why, just making, would, con you're, you're just making conjectural conclusions. Yeah, you're just ma well, first, who said God put them there? Men walk there, right? People move, right? And you're making conjectural conclusions which are ahistorical. Well, uh, you're making a religious no, no, I'm not. Everything I quoted today is classical histories and ancient inscriptions. So, so I mean, you could deny them, but that just makes you a clown. Why, well, why don't you just go write your own history? 
You said every anthropologist uh, disagrees with you except one. So are they all working for the No, group? I said every anthropologist also disagrees with each other, if you heard me. Go read J.P. Mallory's In Search of the Europeans. By no means is it conclusive. Every anthropologist disagrees with me and with each other. That's what I said. So every single anthropologist does not agree. I'm not saying there aren't two anthropologies that anthropologists that agree. I cited a book that discusses the matter. Go read the book and then come back and argue with me. Or go argue with J.P. Mallory. That's even better. Well, just because there's a lot of uh, different claims, uh, I'm going to back up anyway. Um, Ten seconds. Hitler saying that um, uh, they came from that area, but I, I, I've read a lot of statements from him uh, talking about them coming from the north. Well, well, you know, uh, early in his recent, early, early, yeah, yeah, in the 1920 the speech, okay. in the 1920 speech, and Carolyn Yeager also explained that in the 1930s, when he had learned more, he felt differently. So now you're misrepresenting Carolyn Yeager, right? Why, why don't you talk about everything Carolyn Yeager mentioned? That was on my program on Saturday evening, right? Um, no, no, I, I've never listened to your show. Before. Well, well, if you listen to my program, you'll find the rest of Carolyn Yeager's statements on that topic, right? Okay, and you said uh, like Hebrew and English were the same because of like words like cocoa. Uh, no, no I said Hebrew and English have, have hundreds and hundreds of cognate cocoa. words, right? Well, why do you misquote what I said? Why, why do you do okay, that? Just, just Bill, yeah, just let, Lou, go ahead and make your statement, and then Bill, you because, can take all the time to reply. Yeah, you have uh, words like cocoa, but uh, this word in particular is in uh, almost every language as uh, is sort of a commodity. I didn't mention cocoa. I'm sorry, I didn't mention cocoa. I did not words. mention the word no, cocoa. You're lying. You're you're putting words in my well, mouth. I didn't coffee. say. He said coffee. I said and coffee. I said cover. I said cove. Uh, I yeah. You know, and, list and if you this, look at okay. the similarities between English and um. Like the Indo-European root languages, there are a lot more similarities. I didn't deny that. Right, but uh, Hebrew seems to be, uh, since they were uh, merchants, uh, they would heavily use root uh, borrowing words uh, in, in this nature, right? So uh, it, it, it seems that it would be common that uh, there what, would be what, a lot what, of common Where were they merchants? What, where were they merchants? They're always merchants. They were always merchants. Uh, no, no that's, you're, you're that making an ahistorical assumption now. You're, well, you're making uh, an unhistorical well, assumption. The was, uh, was accepted to be uh, the trading mecca of the ancient world by all major historians. Well, where is this? What city is this? Well, the Silk Road, the area around the Alabama. The, the Silk and Road. If you look at in this context, well, let me see. The Silk Road. In, the, the Silk Road in ancient times was controlled by the Medes and the Persians, not by the Hebrews. Oh, okay, guys, hold hold on. If we're talking over each other, I can't hear anything. The audience can't hear anything. Oh, you're making a point about the Silk Road. Is that what you said? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The Silk Road in ancient times was controlled by Medes, Persians. It was never controlled by the Hebrews. Uh, I mean, define ancient times. Be be a little more specific. Um, well. The Hebrews weren't merchants, right? The, the Canaanites were merchants. The, the word Canaan, actually Canaanite was used right in the Bible as, as a um, synonym for merchant, even though it referred to a tribe. It referred to the enemies of the Hebrews. They were the merchants. 
The Hebrews weren't merchants. The Hebrews were a pastoral people originally. The Bible demonstrates that. Well, okay, so uh, the Bible never... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too uh, up to speed on the Bible itself. So, well, well, right. So you're commenting on the Hebrews like you're an expert and you're not up to speed on the Bible, which is the, the, the source of Hebrew history. So you're just making your well, own I history up, right? You're just a clown, right? Either, yeah, you're so just making up your own history. Okay. okay. Talk to the other people for them and sell the stuff. Okay. Hold, hold on, Lou. Hold on. Lou, hang on the line here just for a second. Bill, let's clarify this because, I mean, th this is one of these things that just keeps coming donkey. I don't even know – what this is, what this is about to be honest I don't know if it's in the Old Testament New Testament please address it real quick we'll take 30 the, seconds. the talking donkey story is is in numbers chapter 24 I think it's Balaam's on a donkey and the angel of God makes the donkey to talk uh, I mean so he was a ventriloquist I, I don't care how you want to believe that story you don't discredit the entire historical narrative because you don't want to believe one account, but which could be perceived by some as a miracle or by others as a myth. It's immaterial. The historical okay. narrative still is in complete cohesion with all of the Greek classical and Roman classical writings and the ancient inscriptions. So you can't okay. just dismiss that because you don't believe about a talking donkey, which is one little incident written in Numbers chapter 24 or 25. I, I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, I think part of the problem is that people just want to dismiss the Bible as some book of nonsense that just came out of nowhere. Well, well it's nonsense. Clowns like Lug, he, he's, he's commenting like he's an authority on the, on, on the, the, the Hebrew people, and then he says that he really doesn't know anything about the Bible. Well, well okay. I mean, that's like commenting like an authority on the, on the Roman people, but never having read a Roman historian. That's absolutely ridiculous. Okay. How could you be Lou, an authority Lou. on something if you haven't read the literature? Okay, let's let Lou address that. And then I'd also like to ask Lou what he thinks of your overall analysis of the ancient migrations of the of the people of Europe and, and where they actually come from. What well, well I'm sure he has that? never read anything from classical antiquity. Okay, let, let's see. Lou. Lou, what's your take on that? What do you what do you think about Bill's overall historical analysis that he laid out throughout the course of the show, showing the Phoenicians and some of these other uh, Middle Eastern tribes, which were white, migrating to Europe over time? What, what's your take on that? Well, I, I see them as originally coming from the north, which is the the classical narrative. Uh, if you look at uh, ancient Vedic uh, literature and the Avestas, they speak of them coming from the north. Um, Okay. And uh, it just fits. And if you look at uh, the glacial epochs, uh, the weather shifted there quite often. Okay. And um, another thing about the um, Europeans not uh, technically having any monuments, it's accepted in a lot of places that uh, we still have a place like Stonehenge, but um, that the uh, invading Christians would actually... Uh, uh, destroy them and uh, build churches with the ruins. Okay. Uh, plus, also, uh, if you look, uh, just common sense would dictate if they were going to build, like, say, a house, uh, they wouldn't go to the rock quarry and, and drag it uh, through the forest. They would probably just use the trees. Okay. Let me let Bill go ahead and respond to that. And, Lou, I just want, I'm going to put you back on hold just for a moment. 
I want to thank you for actually being respectable and, and professional about this. I know you obviously don't you don't agree with this, with Bill's perspective on the Bible and some of this other stuff, but at least you're a man enough to call in and, and be professional and not be rude about it. So, Bill, do you want to go ahead and respond a little? Well, well, Stone Circles first, first. Uh, okay, how many dozens of Stone Circles? That doesn't that that does not compensate. For what I said before about a lack of monuments, when, when I speak about monuments, I mean, what about habitations? What about buildings? What, what about roads? What, what about a million other things that are required to make up a civilization? Yet, you know, the Cretans, they had running water that they had the, the aqueduct system and indoor plumbing in 2000 B.C., and that's what our race is capable of, but you find nothing like that in Northern Europe. You don't find anything close to that. There are no buildings. There is nothing lasting. A couple of stone circles, well, stone circles are found in Persia, too. Stone circles were found in Palestine, too, by archaeologists. Stone circles were found in Florida by right. archaeologists. Stone circles okay. don't equal... A, a large lasting civilization and stones can't really be dated. And, and those stone circles, they could have been there from some prior civilization 30,000 years ago. Like I said, we have many evidences of, of inhabitation in Europe by people who aren't necessarily our ancestors just because they're our predecessors. Or those stone circles could have been built by Phoenicians in 1500 B.C., Okay. Okay, yeah, there's really no telling. Right. I'm going to get Lou back on here, and then we actually have – I just noticed here we had one last call that snuck in right before the show, stopped recording, and I'll bring him up. Lou, another thing that I'll just mention um, is, is some of the classical records that Bill was discussing earlier in the program. They specifically say that there, that northern Europe was basically uninhabited. Is that correct, Bill? Well, a lot well of the, yes, they a lot do. Of the sources. Yes, right, okay. they do. It was uninhabited. It was inhospitable. It was too cold for man to inhabit. The, the, the Greeks, the oldest Greek records say that it was too cold for man to inhabit Europe north of, far north of the Danube. Now, now there okay. are people talked about um, in, in certain sketchy records left by the poets who, who lived along the coasts in the north of Europe, and they're easily, since there's no Greek writing before before Homer, they're, they're easily accounted for in, in the Phoenicians who actually, it, it can be shown from the biblical record, were sailing in that direction by the time of Solomon, who, who was 1,000 B.C., who was 400 years before the earliest Greeks, Greek writers. Now, we also have the Egyptians actually did have sailing capability and ports of call throughout the Mediterranean. And, and that's ignored by a lot of even classical historians. But it could be established that the Egyptians were surely familiar with the Greeks and, and, and the Thracians and the other people who lived on the other side of the Mediterranean and that the Egyptians had ports of call there all the way back to the 18th, 19th dynasty. Okay. Okay, let's let Lou respond, and then we have a, a 517 area that I'll bring up real quick. So, Lou, go ahead and respond to that, and then we'll bring in another caller. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of records of, of northern people. Uh, they spoke of the Hyperborean people. Well, uh, well Hyperborean yeah, just meant the people of the north, and, and they lived along the Danube. And, and there's no proof that they lived any further north than that. 
Okay, and there's no uh, anthropological record bones, uh, grave sites, things like this existing in Europe? None that equal, uh, I said that there were definitely travelers and, and there were definitely explorers in Northern Europe at an early time, but nothing that left behind a lasting civilization that accounts for the origin of the German people. Well, uh, like, uh, and the German records themselves, when you get to the Eddas and things like that, the Nibelungenlied and, and the Voluspur and the Eddas, you'll find that they even said by their own, by, by their own myths that they came from Asia. I thought they spoke of the North. If you look at the Vedas. Um, well, well, the Vedas, of, the, the, the Vedas the, are the, Hindu. The age of hold, the, hold on, Bill. Let, let, let me make this point. Go ahead, Lou. Yeah, if you read the Veda, they all speak of them coming from the north. And in fact, they speak of uh, days lasting entire uh, years. And this is something happens uh, in the north, the deep north. First, there's uh, well, nothing that establishes the Vedas. Like, uh, Arkham, uh, like Arkham in Russia, the ancient Aryan uh, settlement of Arkham in Russia. Are you, are you aware of Arkham? Yeah, yes, you know, even Grigoriev dated the Sintasha culture and things like that. He, he showed that they came from Mesopotamia, that they were early settlers from Mesopotamia and from Syria. And he compared, he did comparative studies of archaeological results that demonstrate that. And that's in Grigoriev's work. It's published, some of it's linked and discussed in my Germanic Origins papers. Now, as far as the Vedas are concerned, there's absolutely no evidence at all that they date before 600 B.C. There's no evidence that they're that old, except for the words of a few anthropologists that imagine that they're older than that. There is no documentary evidence that they are older than that. And if you look at the Greek and Roman classics, the Sake and the Masagete, who actually came from the Saka of Mesopotamia, are placed along the Oxus and Jakartus River valleys. And if you write the Vedas later on, it only makes perfect sense that some of those tribes descended into India from the north. That doesn't put them on the Baltic. That doesn't put them on a White Sea. That doesn't put them in Sweden or Norway or Denmark. Look at the geography of India. They could have come from Persia into India and come from the north. Well, I'm, I'm not aware of what you're referring to. But well, well, because uh, like I don't think earlier, you know where the Oxus no River is, do you? No, really uh, seem to agree with each other, so uh, I, I don't know if I take you as an authority on that. Well, well I'm oh, citing uh, the anyway, classics. Anyway, uh, I'm just going to... Uh, I'm just going to end that there. You can get to your other call. Okay, Lou, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate yeah, it. You thanks know, for uh, being a stand-up guy about this. Go ahead, Bill. Lou can go to my website. You can see my Germanic origins papers, my Scythian origins papers, my, my, my Greek origins papers, the Phoenician origins papers that, that all cite classical historians and archaeological inscriptions. And, and if he wants to prove them wrong, well, well, if he thinks he could do that, that's fine. But but okay. he's not proving me wrong. He's proving the classics and, and the archaeology to be wrong. Right. Yeah. You know. And I'm. I mean, if he wants to deny uh, um, a, a thousand years of literary history that the Jews have already denied in, in our society, but well, if he wants to deny all of the ancient historians, well, well, that's fine. He could make his own story up. Okay. 
Well, let's one more call, and then you know maybe the caller will want to participate. I, I had a question for you just about Christianity in general, and and all this you know infighting and all this bullshit that's going on lately with people getting upset about Christianity and Christian identity. And, and anyways, let's take this call, and then we'll talk about that. Five one seven, you were on the air. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Five seven one, you're on the air. Maybe they were just calling to listen in. Okay, well, let, let, let's go ahead and wrap up the program. And and I wanted to ask you about all this. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're aware, and, and anybody that's that's listening to the program, you know, there is this constant bickering and fighting between people that that are religious, you know, that are that do subscribe to Christian identity, and and you know, people that just seem to have this hatred of anything Christian. Um, and, and I and, and I'm glad Lou called in because Lou, I don't think he, I don't know if I, I could say that he hates Christianity or anything like that, but he certainly doesn't agree with your take on it. But he was at least professional enough and respectful enough to call in and be a man about it, rather than you know just talking shit online or, or you know just being a jerk about it. So Bill, what's your take on this? Why why do we always seem to have white people fighting with white people over a bunch of bullshit rather than uniting and and, and really trying to you know make some progress here? Well, well, there's two reasons that people hate Christianity. And, and I'll put those people in two different camps, okay? One group is bad and will always be bad. The other group is made up of mostly good people who are poorly informed, okay? The first group is Jews. A lot of white people that are apparently white are not really white. And they have Jewish ancestry or they have some other form of mixed ancestry, like Zion Crime Factory. And they will always, always hate my message because my message is 100% exclusively white. Okay? That's the first group. They will always hate my message. It doesn't matter how it's packaged because it excludes them and it excludes Jews totally. The second group is a group of white people who are, I would consider them poorly informed about the Bible, who confuse, who are poorly informed about history, who don't know the things that I know, who, who don't know the things that most Christian identity people know. And, and I can't expect everybody to know what I know, and I don't hate white nationalists as long as they're not bashing Christianity. Now, that group because of the, the because they're poorly informed and because they believe the Jewish propaganda concerning Christianity and the Bible, they label Christianity and the Bible as Jewish and they reject it because they reject everything Jewish. Well, those people, the mistake they make is simple. They're giving the Jews credit that the Jews are telling the truth about the past and they should know better than that because the Jews ain't telling the truth about nothing. If a Jew moves his lips, he's lying. <laughs> okay? Yeah, if you keep yeah, that no, basic I, I, philosophy, I know a Jew's lying. You know how well I know a Jew's lying? When he's moving his lips. Right. And if you well, keep the, that basic well, philosophy, you'll be a lot better off in the world. Well, the thing that's so frustrating to me is that even if people in this quote-unquote movement, even if they don't agree with you, even if they think the Bible is a bunch of bullshit, they think it's totally made up or fake or whatever they think about it, who really cares? Because basically from what I understand with Christian identity, the basic goals in their, in their basic uh, conception of Christianity is to love their racial brother, 
um, you know, to, to separate and to, and to live separately from other races and, and really just be decent people and, and, and care for their, you know, exactly. care for their race. Exactly. What is wrong with that? When you what take, is so well, wrong with that? that that's exactly. Even if, well, when well you, Bill, Bill, even, even if people disagree with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Why, gonna, why would they start to, why would people talk about that and, and cause problems when your basic philosophy and your basic message and your goals are perfectly in line with guys like me and, and tons of others in this movement? Well, well exactly. And, and, and um, okay, when you take Christianity and, and, and when you separate just Christianity at, at, at its basic principles, right? Let, let's forget the history. Let, let's forget the Jews. Let's forget the churches, because the churches have usurped Christianity, and I said this the other night, there's no such thing as a Christian priest in any of the early Christian writings for the first three centuries. We don't find a Christian priest, we don't find that concept until the Roman Empire accepts Christianity in the fourth century and legitimizes it, and then a whole bunch of pagan priests, they need jobs. And that's when you see the the, the term Christian priest began to appear in early Christian writing. In, in, in biblical Christianity, every white man is the priest of his own household. And, okay? It's, when you take biblical Christianity, when you strip it of all the bullshit, of all the churchianity, of all the Catholicism, of all the Lutheranism, of, of all the Baptist bullshit, when you get rid of the rituals, because rituals don't belong in Christianity. Uh, only, uh, only a just and moral man and his reliance on, on, on his morals, his God, his kindred, whatever he believes about God. And, and I'll get to that in a second, right? Christianity is only a, a service to your God by loving your racial brother and, and by taking care of your racial kin and by keeping very basic moral commandments. If you love your brother, you're not going to try to sack his wife. Right. If you love your brother, you're not going to corrupt his sons with homosexuality. It's very basic. Keep the morals and love your brother, and you're a good Christian whether you know it or not. Okay? And, and you're not going to backstab your brother either. Well, well absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a, a good Christian devotes his life to the care of his community. That's national socialism. Adolf Hitler was a Christian, whether people know it or not, whether they want to admit it or not. His basic core philosophies were more Christian than any damn Judeo-Christian out there in the world today. They're all phonies. They're all Jew worshipers. They're all hypocrites. That They go to church on Sundays for an hour and spend the rest of the day worshiping niggers running a ball up and down a field. That's idolatry. That ain't Christianity. Not now. Well, right. Right. Bill, let me just say something, too. In a lot of the criticism that, that we get, you know, people criticizing Christianity, all of their critiques and, and all of, you know, everything that they say about Christianity does apply to Judeo-Christianity. Right. It does not apply to the Christianity that you just described. Right. It doesn't it simply, apply to real it simply Christianity. Doesn't. It doesn't apply to what most of us call identity Christianity. There are Christian identists that... that that, that cling to some rituals and, and things like that. Um, that's not me. And and um, there 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 you know Christian identity is does not have a catechism. And, and because of that, that, there's all different levels of understanding. Mostly because there's different levels of learning. 
Uh, okay? But, but the basic core Christian principles are to love your racial brother, keep your race pure, love your kindred, and work to serve your community. And, and that's found in national socialism. And it's been found, uh, I mean, that is the basic European value. That the right, genetic race right. has always had that's instilled in our genes, in our genetic code, as Adolf Hitler describes and as the Bible describes, those basic values instilled in our genes set us apart from the other races of the world. See, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a point that, I, that I've been trying to make, and I, I, sometimes I express it clearly, sometimes I don't. But, but what you just said is exactly right. White people in general are good-hearted you know they're caring. They're very uh, you know compassionate, and, and they care for people. This is just an innate characteristic of white people. The message that Jesus preached is basically how white people are and how they have behaved throughout history. But the, the, when when they when white people stop at, start stop acting like that, it's because the Jew has corrupted them. Absolutely. Now, now let's get to the Jew. The Jew is basically a materialist. The Jews of today. We were cut off. Hopefully we'll be able to reconnect. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host pin when finished. Oh no, Bill! The pro the show just ended. Okay, well, well, well. Oh shit! I don't know what just happened. I, I lost you, and and I lost my connection, and then I tried calling back, but it said the show the, the show's already ended. So ah, oh, damn it, that sucks. Okay, well, well, well I don't know what to tell we, you, but well, we could. I, I was going to get into tr- the importance of transcendentalism. And yeah, I know, I know. I wanted to get into that because I know you just did that show. Flavius Josephus, he, he describes the Sadducees, the ancient Sadducees, that there's of the, of the groups of Judea, of the, of, of the philosophical sects of the Judeans. The Sadducees were absolutely despised by Christ. He never addressed them. He never tried to teach them. There's only one account in the Bible where they confront him, and he tells them what he had to tell them, and they move on, and, and that's it. He would have nothing else to do with them. And, and that's because the Sadducees were the deniers of everything spiritual. That right. They were the deniers of the spirit. They denied God. They were the base materialists from whom the Jews of today really get their philosophy from, their religious philosophies from. Now, the base materialist, base materialism is the true Jewish religion, that they're out for everything they could get in this life, and they don't care about the next. Because they don't believe in it. If we don't have some sort of transcendental belief, okay, that every branch of the Aryan race had in antiquity, and I talked about this with Severus, and I cited this, you know, I cited Sumerian inscriptions, Akkadian inscriptions, Greek inscriptions, um, Greek poets, Roman poets, 
the German poets, every branch of our race believed in afterlife, in a greater good, in, in a higher um, plane of existence. Whatever yes. you want to yeah, call it. I, gosh, that, that's, I, I wish we could have gotten into that. If you deny that, you're basically a Jew and you're reduced to the level of a materialist. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think we did a good job, um, you know, I, well, you really did a good job explaining all the migration stuff, and then I'm glad we got into the uh, to the Christian bashing there at the end. I wish we wouldn't have got cut off there. But. Well, well the, the, the two callers that made ad hominem attacks against my past, that they're both, one of them, I don't know that clown Jeff in Vermont, but but he's a clown, obviously. I, I mean, he has no argument against me, so he has to attack me personally. That's Well... Exactly. That, exactly. That, that, that's all my detractors have. Now, Martin Winstead is a longtime troll in Christian identity. He, he has, um, taken the title and claimed to be Christian identity while he's attacked every single Christian identity pastor and teacher except a couple of dead ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know who he was, but he, he definitely sounded like he was just trying to talk shit and cause problems. Well, well right. He's been trolling my programs, and, and he's been um, saber-rattling against me for years now, right? It, right. It's, I'm, I'm used to it. He's been dogging me for years. He, he's one of the thorns of my side. But his mother's last name is Samuelson, and she's not uh, Swedish. Well, I, I mean, he see, that's the thing. Like, everybody... Is, Everybody is just so fucking immature, dude. That's really what it is more than anything. Well, well people, absolutely, it, but we have detractors. What we, we have, uh, I mean, there are people actively trying to, and, and this has always been the tactic of the opposition, is to infiltrate and divide. That's very true. It's always been the tactic of the opposition. And, and that's, that's what they do. <sighs> now, now um, if that's all my detractors have, is, is ad hominem attacks that they can't attack my content and my material. Well, well then the 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 truth stands on its own. I was going to say that that just proves everything everything you need to know. Now, now Lug, no. I, I don't know the man, the man. I know he attacked me on a blog after I did the last program with you, Lug. Actually just admitted, and I called him a clown, and I don't mind calling him a clown, and I'll explain why. Because if you haven't read the source material, but try to represent yourself as having a position of knowledge, that, then you're basically a clown. You're kidding yourself, and you're kidding everybody else, and you're wasting our time. Yeah. You've made yourself a clown. This well, man he, admitted, he admitted it himself. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's did. why I called him a clown. Yeah. If he yeah. didn't admit it himself, that, that's what he, he's commenting on the Hebrews as if he knew what their nature yeah. was in the ancient world, and then he admits not knowing anything about the Bible, the only source for the yeah. nature of the Hebrews in the ancient world. Yeah, I, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I, I gotta run here. I gotta call, um, I, I don't know, the, the very first caller, that Keith guy, he's actually the owner of, of, uh, Truth Militia. And I talked to him before this show started, and I told him the need for all of us to grow up a little bit, stop being so immature, you know, be professional and actually hear people out before we get our emotions involved and our egos involved. And and he's all pissed off at me now because I put him on mute and, and we moved on with the conversation. Because all he was trying to do was get all upset and, and, and try to, you know, back you into a corner. He had nothing to, to add to the conversation. 
He was trying to be a jerk, and I could tell he was. I could tell he was well, getting Well, I, I handled the talking donkey thing. That doesn't dismiss the historical fabric, which also happens to coincide with all of these other histories and inscriptions. Exactly. The talking well, he, well, donkey he, doesn't, he, doesn't, does not dismiss doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. He, he wanted to know. He was like, well, how do we even know Jesus existed? And I told him that it's in Roman documents, and that's exactly what you said. He said, I want somebody from Christian identity to prove to me that Jesus existed. And I said, okay, call in and ask Fink. You know, I'm sure he has an answer for you. But you could just tell the nature of his voice. I, I could tell. I, I knew he was going to get all worked up, and I didn't want to derail the conversation. That's why I put him on mute, and I'm going to call him right now and tell him that. Well, and well, if, if they know? have a problem with me fucking talking about Christian identity and talking about ancient Europe, then they can fuck off. Cause I'm, how this is, do we know anybody in ancient, in antiquity existed? How do we know Alexander the Great existed? How do we know Cyrus the Persian existed? How do we know that Astyages the Mede existed? How do we know that Cambyses the, the, the Persian existed? How, how do we know that? We know it from all of the histories that were written from their time forward. We know it. Well, how, how can, how could you prove it archaeologically? I mean, that's a dumbass question. He doesn't even know what he's talking about, I don't think. I mean, how could you prove archaeologically that one man existed? Well, easy, because we have cemeteries full of dead people in Roman Greece from the second and third century BC, from the second, third, fourth centuries AD that have Christian symbolism on their tombs. And that have cool. Christian words on their tombs. We have an inscription that talks about Pontius Pilate. We have an inscription that talks about Paul the Apostle. What well, we have inscriptions that, that, that corroborate all of these events in the New Testament. Just because we can't pull Jesus out of thin air doesn't mean he didn't exist. I asked him to prove to me that his, to, to find his great great grandparents in archaeology because if he can't, then he doesn't exist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, he's he's not using rational thought and, and objective thought and, and putting it in a historical context. And, and, and when you do that, of course Jesus existed because we have um, what we have entire collections of literature from the first, section, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh centuries that prove that that the discussions about Christ, therefore Christ must have existed. Exactly. <laughs> well, I know he and that's a thing and, and I was trying to tell him and everybody, that's really the message I'm pushing. Stop being stop being so fucking counterproductive. If you like I said, if you don't agree with Christianity, that's fine. That's fine, but you don't need to talk shit and be a jerk, especially when all of their goals, and CI in particular, align with ours. Why are we going out of our way to cause divisions and disruptions when everything you guys are saying and, and, and the type of Christianity you're describing is the exact philosophy I live my life by, whether I know I'm a Christian or not? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so stupid. People are so, they just get so bent out of shape. And it's, God, we can't even, we can't even communicate with each other anymore. That's how bad it is. Well, well, a lot of it's ego. A lot of it is that the, the truth movement, if I have to call it something, right? The truth movement has, um, a whole lot of chiefs and no Indians. And most of the chiefs have never read a book. Like Luke, yeah. he's never read the Bible. How the hell can you criticize the Bible? How can you talk about the nature of the Hebrew people from a position of authority if you've never read the Bible? Keep your mouth shut. 
Yeah, well, I was glad that he actually called in and, and was, you know, at least respectful and professional about it rather than just, you know, being a jerk about it like everybody else is. So, but anyways, man, I, I really appreciate you doing the show tonight. I, and, you know, I know, I know a lot of your information is really unpopular with people, but I'm telling you, I said this from the beginning. I'm only looking for the truth and I'm not afraid to admit it when I see it. Well, well, I, I've had so, a lot of criticism. I, I've had a lot of criticism from people and my website, it, it, it gets enough visits to attract attention and I've never been challenged on my historical papers. Well, that's what I asked him. I said, well, well what, what's your take on where the Europeans come from? That's what I asked Zion Crime Factory last night. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Bill Fink is wrong though. They have, they're, they have nothing. They have nothing to no, say. No, they don't. If you want to challenge me on my historical papers, fine. But you better have a sufficient body of contrary documentation. And it doesn't right. exist. It doesn't exist. The classics right. are what they I, are. I agree. I totally agree. So, well, I'll tell you what, man. I'm going to run here. I gotta, I'm going to call Keith real quick and, and see if he's, uh, if he's all pissed off and all bent out of shape and... I hope they don't want to get rid of me off this network because if that happens, I'm, I might just start my own damn thing and just do my own thing here because if people are, are little girls and they can't hear what you got to say or hear what anybody else that's in Christian identity has to say, then, you know, fuck them. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's just ridiculous anymore. Well, well I mean, blog talk radio, anybody could sign up. Yeah, yeah, you. I know. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, if, if this, if, if, if this, what, what we just did tonight, you know, leads to them saying, John, we don't want you on our network. Fine. I'm, I'll, I'll start my own up. Okay. So but I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch with you, man. I'll send you a link. Um, do you want me to send you a link of the blog talk audio file? I have my own. Oh, you have it. Okay. Okay. You'll be able to, yeah, I was going to say, I'll, I'll post it on my blog later tonight. If you want to, I don't know if you want to link it on your site or whatever, but. Oh, okay. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle this, the, the archiving of this program yet, but I have my own recording. Uh, I'm the, high, oh, okay. uh, I'm a pretty okay. high tech guy. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Yep, I'll talk to you soon, man. Have a good one.